This is the season finale for season nine of the show. It's going to be one hell of a slow motion spin kick of an episode because, as requested by Mr. Lee Beckman, we are going to talk about six Jean Claude Van Damme films. So that's happening. If you have feedback, and I imagine you might, you can send it to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R A N K N R E V I E W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca, because I'm Canadian. And you should go to the podcast, as always, knowing that there's going to be spoilers for the six films being ranked and reviewed, and there'll likely be coarse language, especially from me. So, let's talk about Jean-Claude, and let's close out another year of Rankin Review. Welcome. To the 225th fucking episode of Rankin Review and the season finale of the ninth season of Rankin Review. Yes, when we start up again in future, several months from now, I'm going to take a few months off, you guys. I've earned it. You've earned it. Um, I'll be starting the 10th year of Rankin Review. Dude. Dude, like in September, just... it will officially be September 2023. Will officially be ten years. Dude, like that's 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 a milestone, man. That's a lot of ranking reviewing. How many seasons? This is the ninth season we're finishing yeah. off right now, so we'll be starting the tenth probably in the summer sometime. Well, or early late spring, early summer. I, I'm thinking. Well, here, like I, you can hear this a little bit, and no, that's not what you think it is. It's, it's me actually clapping, mm-hmm. like. And later he'll actually clap his hands too. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Well, I was going to save all of that praise for next September, but okay. I'll take the early bump. Okay. But um, this is this one's on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's on you. Well, and again, like I had this. This is not me starting wagging my finger, but yeah. Uh, you wanted to do an episode on Jean Claude Van Damme. You yeah. actually bought me a movie so I that know. I can have six Jean Claude Van Damme movies. I know. Uh, you're a fan. I have watched a lot of these movies. I know. Uh, when I first moved to S- Saskatchewan, my parents knew I was mad about the move and they were trying to buy my favor, so they yeah. they got me Super Channel. And this was right in the hard target range yeah. of, of, of Jean-Claude. So yeah. I did watch a lot of Jean-Claude. To my, I guess, embarrassment. At the time, I was much more into, quote-unquote, Steven Seagal. Okay. But I would watch a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie without any kind of protest. Yeah. But I wasn't like, ooh, ooh, yeah. death warrant, let's do this. Right? Yes. It was like, yeah. uh, <laughs> it was like this sort of 
my dad would call them teeth and snot movies, his action sure. movies. And yeah, I yeah. could totally watch that with that, right? Movies for guys who liked movies. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I get it. We're in the trailer, they talk like this. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, God, can you imagine if he had lived with someone who talked like that all the time? He just wanted to play in traffic. Anyway. So that's my relationship with Jean-Claude. But obviously yours is bigger because you've been wanting to do this. So, so why this episode and, uh, um, well, I guess... We kind of came to the list together, but yeah. what's your what's your thing with Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme? Well, it's a couple of things. One, I think there's some sentimental value. Um, my sister, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, these, these were movies that my sister and I both watched eagerly, and so there is a sort of sibling thing to it. Um, she was watching it for a different reason, yet I was there for the action and the splits and the ridiculous plots. Um, Karuna, if you are listening to this, I am sorry, and I do love you, but we, I, I find it adorable that you had a crush on Jean-Claude. <laughs> Everybody had their thing. Yeah, and you know what? In, in, in Karuna's defense, he's not an ugly guy. Right. Like, I can, you know, the, the chiseled face and, and the, and his accent and everything, like, he's not an ugly guy. Like, there was a reason why he, he became a, a movie star. So part of his sentimental value... I've seen Double Impact more than any possible human shit. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> um, so I do kind of have a love-hate relationship with that film. Um, but part of it is I have many a good memory with my sister watching Lionheart over and over and over again and Cyborg and Bloodsport and Double Impact. Um, uh, not so much Hard Target because of that sort of came later, but all the early... The Kickboxer. Oh, my... There was a time... You know, that Van Damme dance that, you know, of course... Is that, is that Kickboxer? That is Kickboxer. Uh, doing my limited amount of Van Damme research, I came across that meme of him dancing. And I'm yeah. sure I probably did see that movie, but I totally forgotten yeah. about it. Yeah. And it is hilarious. I'm sure if you did a, a Google search of Van Damme dance, yeah. this is what would come up. And yeah. it is unintentionally, excruciatingly cringy hilarious. I don't know if it's unintentionally, though. Um, and I will, like, talk about this during the podcast, because... I think Van Damme was very much aware of his real persona and his persona on screen and what sold. And I think he knew that he was kind of a dork in a lot of ways. Um, and so and, and so they played into, uh, as the movies go along, especially with Double Impact, they played into how the you know public perceived him. And it, the two characters in Double Impact are sort of extensions of, of that in a lot of ways from the real uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, or his name, actually, I've, I've got it here, Jean-Claude Camille Francois Van Varenberg. There, I've said it. That's and his real why name. is he good by Van Damme? It's the same thing from uh, Raising Arizona. Yeah. Why'd you change your name from <laughs> to Nathan Huffheims? Yeah, yeah. Well, who would buy furniture from unpainted Huffheims? <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme just rolls off the tongue better. We yeah. get this. So, yeah. like, even his name is part of the package. Fair yeah. enough. Um, so part of it, like I said, is, like, sentimental value. Um, part of it is is that his movies are so ridiculously bad <laughs> that you just can't help... I don't know. I just couldn't help but get enamored by them. I think even he would agree that, you know, especially his early films, when he was just learning the craft of acting... That you know, he would say like they're they're not good movies. They're kung fu movies. They're entertainment. They're entertainment. And he's in, and he said, "Look, I'm an entertainer. Yeah, I, I try and give the audience what they want. That's you know, when you're coming to a Jean Claude Van Damme movie, you know, 
um, I'm going to give them what they expect, the splits, the no, uh, um, you know, the, the massive arms, and for a while they had that double, triple, he, he, they called it the double impact shot, where they show the, they show the same action move three yeah. times to show how, how hardcore, Different brutal. angle, different angle, angle, point of impact, yeah. close up, yeah, I get it. Um, but just knowing as much as I can about his life story where, you know, he was picked on as a kid, so his parents wisely put him in ballet, because that's just what you do, yeah. uh, to then getting into kickboxing and and him going up through the ranks as a professional kickboxer, owning a dojo, selling that, going to America with very little money in his pocket, in his pocket with a friend, and a chance encounter with Golan Globus of Canon Films where he sh- wanted to show him how, you know, his martial arts ability and showing that kick uh, to, you know, him working, he, he worked on a lot of Canon Films productions. Do you remember the movie Breakin' 2, Larry? I, I know that the movie exists. I know that it's an iconic sort of image of the 80s, but I will confess that I have never actually watched either of the break-in movies. It might be actually the first break-in uh, now that I think about it, but there's a sequence where, of course, they're doing their breakdancing because that was the 80s, and in the group of people that are all around our hero breakdancing is Jean-Claude with a very bad haircut doing that va- that cheesy Van Damme dance and like him smiling and clapping. Um, to be fair, too, for the first probably four years or so that he's working in Hollywood, he barely speaks a word of English. Yeah. So that is like the, the uh, something that impedes some of his earlier work. Same thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger's early films. Yeah. Like he's he's doing the best that he can. Yeah. And we kind of have to meet him halfway in that respect. Uh, you had asked me before when we were talking about this, and uh, I think I should pose it to you better than you pose it to me. Yeah. What do you think is essential for a Van Damme movie? Well, if you're if you're classifying it as a Van Damme movie, you got to have the split. Yeah. Um, you gotta have there's certain Van Damme isms like the no and the ah, um, you, you know that roundhouse kick, which was you know I think also part of one of the things that got in the way of him becoming as big as as Arnold, um, because you know it, it kept on showing the same, you know you're there to see you know what Van Damme provides, but you also need to change it up a little bit, and he never really did in his heyday, um. Of course, we have to have that classic Van Damme butt shot. Because <laughs> yeah. he that wa- a requisite? Yeah, because, you know, he wanted the people to know that he had a great ass. Mm. And I think that's key to a good performance, personally, is just you got to have good glutes there, Larry. Yeah. Um, don't deny the glutes. Yeah, don't deny the glutes. Um, the Van Damme punch, where it's very sudden, and it, but his, hand, his other hand is, like, up, you know, up like this. Flat, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and he's, he's got to have a woman... Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, maybe just uh, maybe because I'm mainly talking about these six movies that we're going to be dealing with. But yeah. I think there needs to be a level of bad dubbing. Yes, I noticed all of these movies at some point or another, maybe with the exception of JVCD. Yeah, had it sound issues that, yeah. like, I guess totally blew by me in my past. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I had seen all of these movies with maybe the exception of the Quest yeah. before. I just. Yeah largely forgotten them they kind of yeah. passed through me like fast food but uh interesting things so yeah i think we need bad dubbing and we need yes. at least one moment or several of just absurdity yeah like 
punching a snake. Yes. In, 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 in hard target. Yeah. Or like... It's ridiculous. Like the random jealous slash love scene in uh, Double Oh my God. Impact. Oh my God. Where it's like... You're not exactly sure why this is in the movie, but you're not exactly mad at it either. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, I think we know why it's there in the no, movie, yeah, for but, sure, but but narratively speaking, what is the point? Yeah, always in all, almost all of these movies, I can find a point, and the quest is just wall to wall scenes like this, where you're yeah. just like, this scene doesn't necessarily need to be here, and it's like goofy for the sake of being goofy, but yeah. it also. I don't know. I think it might be the intangible thing that makes a Van Damme movie a Van Damme movie. Yeah. I guess I believed the hype when I was younger about Steven Seagal being like this professional martial artist yeah. and uh, like usually, although there's some good actors to the left and right in some of these movies too, his movies seem to have a, somehow more prestige to him. They get better yeah. actors, better directors for him and yeah. uh, he's, as it turns out, I guess a much worse per- human being. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so this is... It's weird because it's nostalgic, but I mean, I don't particularly have the same level of affection that you do. So, like, I'm coming at it from a different angle. I also, knowing a lot about his life, like, like his mental illness and how it got in the way of his fame in a lot of ways. I've mentioned this before, but dude is bipolar and it, it really affected both his marriages and his career. So I guess, and just having, knowing that connection and what it can do to a person's life, I think also made me gravitate towards him a little bit. I also love the showmanship aspect of Van Damme. Like, there is a, what's the word? Brand. There's a Van Damme brand, and he fought very hard to protect it, to protect it, and, you know, for a while, make it really, really succeed. So to see this almost Shakespearean fall from grace and yet him coming back up and him bringing himself back up by really in public acknowledging his flaws um and what made him so human i think also makes me gravitate toward him um stallone is still a bit of an enigma he keeps things at bay and arnold is the opposite he like he really went into the public life but van damme just he always seemed to me like this kid that just wanted to please you. Right. You know, like, this is what I am. You, you're here for the splits? I'll show you the splits. You want the bad dubbing dialogue? Yeah, we'll, we'll do that too. You know, here's, we got the white hat, black hat kind of thing. Um, but it, a it, lot it, of these movies feel moment to moment. Yes. More than like the whole scene. Like, what can I do to make people laugh in this scene? And yes. What can I, what's badass that we can do? Yeah. It's not real world, but yeah. it's badass and people will like it. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to kind of... I do think these kind of movies you got to meet halfway a little bit. Oh, you do. Like, <laughs> uh, like to the listeners at home, please understand, these are bad movies. <laughs> I'm going to give you a rank of one to six, but if I'm real, yeah, they're not great. They're, they're, they are what they are. Yep. Yep. But thank you, Larry, for letting us do a Jean-Claude Van Damme episode. I know I've been nagging you and nagging you and no, nagging good. you, and you no. finally relented, and like, I get it. And like bought you the movies just to make this point. Well, that's funny because this is not the first time we've talked about Van Damme. Of course, there's yeah. the legendary yeah. Bloodsport review Yo. and Van Damme's Mangasm, yeah. which I think was the absurd moment that I'm talking about. That yeah. you need to have a few of those in yeah. each of these movies, and yeah. uh, that's part of part of what what I what I want to see here. But um, yeah, we're going to be grading on a scale. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Any, anything else you want to say before I list off these movies? I said, let's let's Van Dam do this, man. Okay. We're going to start with Hard Target. Woo! We're going to talk about Double Impact. Yes. And we're going to talk about Death Warrant. Ah, uh, yeah. We're going to talk about Replicant. Yeah. Which I think might be the only one on the list that I hadn't seen before we did this movie. Okay, I'm so sorry. Okay. Well. Um, and and the, as well as The Quest, which is his directorial debut. Yes. And I think that's it. I don't think he's done any other directing. He has directed another movie. Oh. He, he directed a movie after... Jean J J C V D. Um, I have it somewhere. Mm. Uh, it, you can't watch it apparently. They, it's not played, been released. Uh, it's played at festivals, uh, but I would suspect it, it's not good. Mm. But that just makes me want to see it more. <laughs> I will close with J C V D, which is this weird meta kind of Jean Claude. Yeah. It's definitely the outlier of the list. It's called Frenchie. Frenchie is the other movie that he directed, um, which but neither it, of us have seen. It goes by numerous names, though. It's Frenchie, but also Full Love. He works as a cab driver in Asia and keeps a low profile until he picks up a beautiful woman. You know what? Sold. <laughs> <laughs> they had you at Van Damme. They did. I need to file a missing person report. The competitors are deadly. We pride ourselves in hunting only combat veterans, men who have the necessary skills to make our hunts more interesting. And they always win. You want to find your father? Get somebody who knows the city to show you around. Now, the opposition is about to get one last chance. What kind of a name is Chance? My mama took one. And Mr. Boudreaux, Silver Star, Marine Forest Recon. He's obviously not someone we should underestimate. He is an annoying little insect. Now I'm stepped on hard. So we spent the large portion of the introduction trying to define what we think is a Van Damme movie. Mm-hmm. And Whatever Hard Target is, I think it's splitting the difference between what's a Van Damme movie yep. and what's a John Woo movie. Absolutely. Um, and, like, it's not a completely comfortable marriage, but it's not com- uncomfortable either. Yep. It, it's it's goofy, like a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies here. This is set in New Orleans, and it's about this uh, group of people who conduct this most dangerous game, sort yep. of... We're going to hunt homeless people. Yeah. We're going to get wealthy people to pay us money. We'll find this victim and set yeah. up this, this hunt. And um, they, they run afoul of Jean-Claude Van Damme. The things that this movie obviously have working for it is John Woo. He brings in more energy to a lot of the action scenes, which will be, you know, when you compare it later on, we're going to talk to Death Warrant. It's just yeah. like the way the action is shot... The classic wooisms, the yeah. slow motion, the repeat shots, the yeah. doves flying through the yeah. air, yeah. The, uh, you know, centering everything around your main character looking as cool as possible, even to the point of breaking reality of the situation. I, yes. I s- seem to remember a scene of him balancing on top of a motorbike yes. while firing a weapon. Yes. Not riding a motorbike, standing on yes. the seat of yep. the motorbike while he's yeah, riding This movie is full of like physics-defying <laughs> scenes. If you're going to be like, that's fake, what the fuck are you doing here? Yep. Get out. Get yep. out. Yeah. 
get out. Yes. The other thing is that they have a great supporting cast. Yes, they Lance do. Lance Henriksen can be a villain in any fucking movie, anytime. He did wait. Yeah. And sometimes he kind of phones it in, but I don't really necessarily think he's phoning it in. This no. Morning. I think he's... He's definitely here for it. And uh, is it Andrew Vosolo? Arnold Vosolo. He's South African. Excuse me. For those, the mummy. Yeah, he's, uh, most people would know him as the mummy, but I mean, all, you know, I think almost any South African movie shot in South Africa from Hollywood for a good 10, 15 years, you would find Arnold Vosolo usually in them. Yeah. And uh, he, he's in kind of, by the standards of a Van Gogh Dam movie, an interesting villain in that. I feel like Lance Henriksen presents himself as the professional, cool-headed leader yeah. of this group, but Vosolo, is that how you say his name? Vosolo. Vosolo. Arnold Vo- uh, Vosolo. He presents himself to be much more professional and much smarter than Lance Henriksen through the movie. Yeah. And uh, not to jump to the end, believe it or not, the bad guys are defeated in this movie. What? When, when, when he falls, like Lance Henriksen takes that one personally. Like, yeah. that one... That one that was when the price of this game went too far for him. Yes. So, and uh, there's that's not it, though. The There's the actress who was in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. and she's also a director. Casey Lemons, thank Casey you. Casey Lemons. She's yeah, in he, Candyman as well. Yeah, I he's Bio, if, Talk to Me, Harriet, uh, and the currently released in cinema, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Oh, there you go. I just sang. You sang. You knew uh, you were gonna, it was going to happen. Uh, yeah, happen. I Want to Dance with Somebody. Anyway, I couldn't uh, say it. I, I had to sing it. This is... I think right around the time that she would have been doing Candyman and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's very much a, kind of a thankless supporting role, but uh, she does the job. She makes us like her, and when things go bad for her, we're like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we're going to have to mention Wilfred Brimley. Yep. Uh, Who is an entirely different movie than everybody else. Though. Absolutely. But, like, he his over-the-top... Frenchy Cajun ish accent yeah. kind of justifies Jean Claude's sort of non specific French accent. Yes. I, I, I do have a question, but I'll let you finish. Well, I'm just like, all the movies will, will sometimes like try to give us a reason for his accent. Yeah. And sometimes he's French Canadian, which makes me smile. Yes. In this case, he's Cajun, which makes me smile. But yes. like, uh, he's, he's French. He speaks French. Yeah. He's, he's his native tongue. Uh, and, and, and that's fine. But I don't know. I'm not buying the Cajun ness. Yeah. Uh, Yancey Butler, and I will let you have your whack at this, sorry. Yeah. Yancey Butler no, I, is the other main sort of lead of this movie. And yeah. she kind of had a, a, a brief run in the early 90s as well. Yeah. But she's most famously known for like a TV show where she played a robot. Okay. And the fact that she's most known for playing a robot, I think, might speak to her range as an actress. Okay, fair but enough. But she's completely hey, fine. Man. She's completely fine in this movie, and she's still working. She's in like... Lake Placid versus Anaconda. <laughs> You're speaking ill of Yancey Butler when she's a rank and review rank and review Cole Hauser award winner. Right. Parsons. Shame on me. Yeah. Well, in this movie, she's pretty and in peril, and that's yeah. all that's asked of her. Yeah, and it's I not that it. she sucks at it, but like she it. doesn't stand out, especially with, you know, your your Lance Henriksons and yeah. your Wilfred Brimley's who are yeah. just like full on vamping it. Yeah. It's ludicrous, it's over the top, it's yeah. stupid. I had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. Well, to me, Hard Target sort of represents both the best and the worst of Van Damme in the prime of his career. The worst, obviously, is Van Damme is so in love with himself oh at this God. point. <laughs> like, how many like shots that just linger on either his face 
or his bulging biceps as a piece of wood is on fire and he's having flashbacks to events that he wasn't even there for at the end. Um, like, like the man loves himself. Um, and I, I kind of giggle at it. Um, just like he did in Bloodsport, although I, I can understand why he would do it in Bloodsport. Bloodsport, um, he went into the editing room, like above the director's head. Um, I don't know whether at the request of Universal, I have no idea, but he re-edited the movie. Um, that takes some big brass balls yeah. <laughs> to do that, and I don't, and I get the impression, I don't know, I mean... Well, John Woo never worked with him again, I wouldn't be surprised if that had a big part to do with yeah, it. There, yeah, uh, but there was other things about Hard Target that it might have... I don't, I don't know. Um, the film was having a hard time getting its R rating to begin with. Like, when it was first put together, it got NC-17 because Wu's violence is so over-the-top and, and be bloody. Like, they're exhausting. The Killer and Hard Boiled are exhausting, violent action films, and apparently one of the cuts they had... There is an NC-17 unrated version out there that you can see. Right. And by all accounts, it, 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 it suffers the same thing where you are exhausted by the amount of sheer gunplay. Yeah. Um, apparently also an original cut focused more both on the Lan- Lance Henriksen and Arnold Vosloo's character though, which I find interesting because with Wu's successful action films, he does spend a lot of time both with the villains and the protagonist equally. Um, but apparently there's a whole, they go into the whole backstory with both Henriksen's and Vosloo's character and, you know, how they came together, how they've been doing this for a long time, you know, in different countries like the Ukraine, like all, all that is explained in more detail. And everybody else seemed to be just pawns, but these two guys are bros. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wonder if that would have made the film a lot more interesting or yeah, I don't, I don't know if authentic is the word, but a lot more interesting instead of, instead of the Looney Tune cartoon style movie that we get. Um, do you know who the producers of this, of these movies were? Tell me Mr. Wagner. Rob Tabert and Sam Raimi. Oh, there you go. Um, Universal, like Wu, um, the Shaw Brothers studio had closed down at this point. They had gone bankrupt. So a whole lot of Asian talent, you know, wanted to, con- obviously wanted to continue to make money. And so they went over to America. Jackie Chan had been there before, but wasn't successful. All of a sudden he came over and had all these Hollywood stars, you know, really thumping his movies. Jet Li was another one, but we also had a lot of Asian directors who had done well overseas and internationally. And Van Damme is loved in Korea. Yeah. When I lived in Korea, like, they still love him. Right. Um, but a lot of this talent all of a sudden came over because that's where, you know, because there was no money to be made in China because the economy was bad. And John Woo was one of them. Um, so he was brought over to help make this movie. But, um, well, and that's keeping in train with, with Sam Raimi. He brought, like, when he does these remakes yeah. of these horror movies, he gets the original director from overseas yeah. and brings him to do it. So yeah. I just didn't realize he, he usually produces horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> the, the studio did ask him. Because originally he was supposed to direct this movie as well. Um, would you oversee this? Because Wu's English was not great. And they were worried, you know, maybe what happens if the production goes overseas and obviously Remy could take over and um, communicate. There seems like a lot of Looney Tune, you know, style quality to this movie that seems very Rob Tabert and Sam Raimi in a lot of ways. Right. And I wonder if that aesthetic kind of hurt it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have not read the script. I don't know if it has the punching out of the rattlesnake, but goddamn. 
but yeah, he, yeah. but the, there there is definitely things where they're trying to play it straight-ish for yeah. an action movie yeah. to give us the stakes. We have to care when the homeless people yeah. are being hunted, and we have to kind of be intimidated by the villains and understand that they're real. But then we get Wilfred Brimley, yeah. who, like, just an, an, a cartoon. Yeah. In a world of cartoons. Uh, to, to jump the needle just slightly, too. Sure. I mean, I realize this came out in the age of Roadhouse. Sure. But... You can either pull off a mullet, Eat. or you can't pull off a mullet. All right, so first I'm going to make the case that Jean-Claude Van Damme is not pulling off the mullet. Really? <laughs> okay, fair enough. I can understand it. it. It looks like a wig. I get it. It is one of the things, like, oh, God, we're going to talk about cringy fashion in some of these other movies, too, but yeah. uh, it... it more than almost anything, is one of the things that dates this movie to its very specific time and place. Yes. Because it was the dying days of the mullet. There wasn't going to be too many more movies that were going to let people get away with this shit. Yep. And, like you say, the way the camera's always fetish... Yeah. Fetishizing Jean-Claude down with these slow passes over his sweaty, glistening muscles and body. It's just like... uh, he, all of a sudden, the movie stops and becomes a car commercial, but there's no car. Yeah. It's just Jean-Claude. Yep. And I'm laughing at the movie, yes. but I'm still entertained. Yes, <laughs> See, I, this, this is why I enjoy a Van Damme movie. Um, but I will say, like, one of the things that Van Damme was really good at was working with a lot of Asian talent and bringing it to Hollywood. Um, he would work with Ringo Lam three times, John Woo once, Tsui Hark I think twice. Um, he, he he worked briefly. Well, he's been in the same film as Jet Li with The Expendables too. But he, at the height of his Hollywood box office prowess, uh, would bring in a lot of Asian talent. Like he loved, obviously, Asian cinema. It, it, you know, there's there's lots of shout outs in Double Impact. Um, there's a lot, you know, obviously Hard Target has got that whole John Woo aesthetic to it. Well, and frankly, at the time in the late 80s, early 90s, Asian action movies were just shaming American action movies. Especially when it came to like hand-to-hand combat and like spectacle gun battles. Not Maybe not necessarily real world heat like gun battles, but like arcade game, watching someone play a video game. Yeah. Well, we eventually got to with John Wick series here. Yeah. They were the already they were already balls deep into that by the yeah. late eighties, yeah. right? Like, uh, yeah. so it makes sense to bring this kind of energy to it. But I think because of the stylistic strength of Wu, it kind of shames some of the other non, yeah, you know, less creative approaches to the action. Yeah. Because honestly, if the action doesn't play in the Jean Claude Van Damme movie everybody out of the pool yeah no I get it one thing that I I also appreciated and this is you know time is I think really shone a light about how good some of these old action movies are is the practical stunt work Um, you know you watch a lot of action films uh, on Netflix today and I'm not saying that you know Ryan Reynolds can't isn't athletic and isn't cool and you do these stunts but there's lots of CGI stuff going on uh, that's one thing that, that makes the new, like the latest Mad Max movie, so impressive. It's just the attention to practical stunt work. I appreciate that. I mean, there's lots of scenes in this movie where the, the the whole sequence is to set up stunts that 
why is there a whole wall of boxes in the middle of a highway? There's, there's no there's no reason to, but it's there because a stunt person has to ride a, a, you know, a bike <laughs> into that wall so it's safe. Um, there's lots of ridiculous stunts, stunts you know. But they're real stunts. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that. As, as a lover of action cinema and stunt works, they're actually doing it. People are being pushed through the air off of whatever ramps springboards. or springboards or whatever. Yeah. Actually, people are being lit on fire yep. on screen, and yep. uh, people are taking real hits. They probably nowhere near as brutal as they like look yep. on camera. But yeah. I, I'm glad you're saying people are lit on fire because this is where I'm going to talk about Lance Henriksen, <laughs> and this is where I'm doing the. Because he got lit up real good. <laughs> okay, so um, every episode, I am going to be doing a uh, Jerry Award-winning. Cole Hauser Award to uh, someone who can continuously contributes to genre cinema, and I think you could fairly say that Lance Henriksen, oh shit, yeah, definitely earns this. This is the guy who played Bishop in Aliens. He has nothing to prove to anybody yeah. at this point in his career. Yeah, like <laughs> the man has been through so many, you know, genre movies, both good and bad. Yeah. I think he's actually really good in this movie. You know, he, he talks about how he really enjoyed working with John Woo. Um, there's a scene. There's de- there's debate. Some think some say it was done by accident. Other other people say it was deliberate. But there's a scene in the climax of the Mardi Gras graveyard where Henriksen is lit on fire and his jacket is full up, yeah. full up, and the camera stays on it, and Lance holds it like he's like he's he's on fire. Like and you can tell it's hurting him. And then he takes the jacket and throws it off. And and that shot is about 30 seconds long. Now, I can see some of this gel in the side of his of his head. But it reads in, as sweat, yeah. Yeah, where it, that might be the kind of gel they use for... It's absolutely to, to keep the heat down for him. Okay. Uh, but uh, I don't think... I think the surprise was the amount of fire. Yeah. And, like, he didn't scream cut. He... Yeah. He, he did the scene, and yeah. uh, I, w- I would be interested to see his reaction the second after Cut was called. Yeah. Like, Holy <laughs> shit, shit guys. guys. But it looks amazing on screen, but yeah. I don't think it was as intended. I think, like, okay. again, uh, if you have, this is one of your stars, you don't put him in under that much yeah. danger of being seriously burned. Yeah. So, But yeah. respect. Like, the you know, there's a reason why I'm saying he is... The Cole Howes so he's award winning the award for this picture. Um, because, goddamn, um, that that must have really hurt. <laughs> yeah. He earned it. Um, so, yeah, Lance Henriksen. Um, I will also, like, you talked about the supporting cast. Larry, you've been to, to New Orleans. I have. Um, do you believe a second of Wilford Brimley's accent? Well, I mean, I didn't talk to a lot of Cajun people, but I didn't believe anything about Wilford Brimley. Yeah. But at the same time, I really enjoyed Wilford Brimley. Yeah. Like, he's sort of the uh, Michael Douglas in Ghost in the Darkness yes, role that's in a this good movie, reference. where it's yeah. like, he's so much bigger than everybody else. Like, yeah. he's in a different movie. He yeah. doesn't belong. But he also adds color, which is what he's being asked to do. Yeah. And we're supposed to like, oh, no, don't let anything bad happen to the crazy Cajun dude. Yeah. Like, we know Chance. we know nothing bad is going to happen to Jean-Claude, yeah. right? But maybe they'll kill Wilfred Brimley. Yeah, yeah. Well. Your heart does skip a beat when he gets shot in the chest with an arrow and like, yeah. oh my goodness. No, um, I love Wilfred Brimley in this movie. If anything, 
go if you're not there for the action, just watch it for Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley, there I said it. But no half measures are being taken by him and most of the supporting cast. But he just gave it that extra level yeah. of like cartoon. Yeah. And here's the other compliment I guess I'll pay. We should probably try to wrap this up. Oh really? Like, okay. All right. Well, we're almost at twenty minutes. Oh really? Wow. But, I do think that the premise is rock solid. Yeah. Like, if it was a more seriously minded movie, you could almost get away with it. Like, I believe in, like, shallow rich assholes being, you know, deplorable to this degree. And that, like, there could be these people who like the idea, get off on the idea of a human hunt. Yeah. And it's not possible to take this seriously in this movie because the whole movie is ridiculous. Yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme is, like, so hilariously posing through the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Um, But I do think that the premise is solid, and that's not something that we can always say for the (laughs) movies moving forward. That is true. Um, To me, Hard Target is what... It's frustrating because it's almost there as as a great action film, but I do think the Looney Tune, almost Raimi-esque... Uh, cartoon aesthetic kind of hurts any moments of seriousness that this movie have. I mean, even the music, which I, I kind of like, but it's you've got that shot of, like it's trying to be a western, but instead of a gun, it's Van Damme's leg when he pulls his trench coat, and I'm just like, even when I first saw it, I'm like, that's lame. <laughs> like, so any moment that's supposed to, like, you're supposed to take seriously, all of a sudden is all gone. The the punching out the setting of the trap of the rattlesnake is so ridiculous, and like he bites off the rattle and everything, and it's just like this is when it hits cult movie status. So that's silly. That's see, I think I have the uh, sort of kind of opposite mirror world version of you, whereas I think the moments where it tries to have a serious emotional beat in it yeah. are so discordant with the ludicrous nature of everything else. Yeah. But those are the things that kind of stand out. Yeah. Just be what you're going to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you hire John Woo. Yeah. Make a John Woo movie. Like, if you if you compare this to, like, The Killer or Hard Boiled, there's this bluesy, whiskey-dried aesthetic. Very, like, a, like, there's not a lot of humor in those films. No. There's not a lot of Looney Tune funny. Where I do think the humor, real, the juxtaposition of it really hurts the movie from being great. And I will argue it's probably the most John Wooish American film he he made. Not, I'm not saying better. Um, I'll leave that with Face Off. But I think Hard Target is probably the closest. Uh, if you, if you had to compare it to you know The Killer or a Better Tomorrow, um, the last I the last half an hour does kick ass. I I, I do love the graveyard the Mardi Gras graveyard sequence. Uh, even with the the double gun. Van Damme's got the the, the 9mm upside down and he's just (laughs) like it's ridiculous but he's playing with the trailer but you know the the double gun thing that's Jean Wu I think any action film that had that slow motion sequence owes a great big debt to Jean Wu well it's funny because we were talking about the slow-mo in Southern Comfort earlier and people always ride on um What's his face? Three hundred Watchmen. Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder for overusing three hundred, uh, yeah. overusing slow motion. But if you cut all the slow motion shots out of that Mardi Gras sequence, it would uh, actually be a usable length. Yeah, I, I I like the sequence, but I do think it is too much. It goes to the face off school of yeah, yeah. But let's do three more beats. Yeah, right to every sort of sequence. Let's yeah. let's make it bigger. Let's always be more. I. I um, have, well, I have the Blu-ray, ashamedly. <laughs> I, I, I am dis- I, I'm ashamed to say. 
Um, I don't know if you can see it as well in DVD, but if you look closely, you can see the springboards so that that Van Dam and other actors are like jumping and twirling. I give that shit a pass usually. Yeah, I know, but it makes me kind of go, "Oh, that's cute." Um, but it, people who are looking, who love John Woo, like that's when the movie really sort of cooks for me. Yeah, um, you know, h- him with the pigeons, not the doves, um, and, and even like the fight he has with Vo- Voss Lily. That's pure Woo. Um, I would love to see the director's cut of this. Like, like I said, apparently it's extremely gory and violent and closer to like what Wu unleashed. Um, but I do think it's one of the reasons why Van Damme had to maybe not break into the editing room but took over artistically. And I think it stopped it from being great. Well, short of being great, it still is, to my mind, one of the better Van Damme movies. Yes. Jean-Claude Van Damme. He always makes an impact. Now, get ready for Double Impact. There's two of them. Think about it. Van Damme times two. He looks exactly like you. Me? Twin brothers reunited on a mission. Watch my back. To avenge their parents' death. One packs a punch. One packs a piece. Look good to me. Together, they deliver a double impact. Excuse me. From Hollywood to the Far East. On land. On sea. And in the air. They're damn quick. Express service. Damn cool. Damn hot. So now what do we do? That's what I love about you. Well, what's better than one Jean-Claude Van Damme? I don't know, Larry. What is? Two Jean-Claude Van Dammes. And this is actually something that's going to happen several times in his career. In fact... There's another movie we're going to talk about later on in this list that has two Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, very different performance indeed. <laughs> um, I enjoy like them both for different reasons, but I think on execution, I have to give Double Impact probably more points yep. overall, while still conditioning my response to saying, this isn't a particularly good movie. It is a decent, watchable, at times laughing at yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Yes. Two babies have their parents assassinated. Yeah. And they're separated at birth. One is raised uh, in Hong Kong, is it? Uh, yep, that would be Chad. And the Chad. other is raised in Paris. Which is Alex. I, I, I really do hope I get that right. And um, one's got slick back hair, and he's mean, and he's gruff, and he's badass. Yeah. And the other one's got this weird Forrest Gumpish quality to him, where, yeah. like... Everything is a new discovery and adventure. He's got this real Oshucks childish thing. Yeah, Chad, again, Chad is the L.A. one. Alex is the t- toughest nails one. Okay. I mean, there's good Van Damme and bad Van Damme. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that they're amped up to a much bigger degree. And yeah. the, the bad drunk Claude in the Replicant movie is way worse. Yes. And the, the, the weird childlike Van Damme is more weirder and more childlike in the Replicant movie. Yeah. And this is to the benefit of Double Impact. 
The problem is, is that it's much more reliant on Jean-Claude, the actor, yep. in this movie. Because you're playing two characters who interact a lot and they have to like not like each other and then like each other and yeah. progress a full arc. Yeah. And I will compliment, I will say lots of complimentary things about Jean-Claude. But I mean, yeah. this was him biting off way the fuck more than he could yeah. shoot. Okay? <laughs> Jeffrey Lewis is sort of the father figure to the the, the good Van great, Damme. Great character actor, Jeffrey Lewis. He's the father of Juliet, yep. I believe. And He's uh, actually kind of good in this movie. No, like, again, he stands out, but, yeah. like, he's working against Jean-Claude for a lot of his scenes. <laughs> okay, fair enough, that's, that's true. That's a lowbrow compliment to him. But I, he is a guy who pops out in movies. I always yeah. find him memorable. Way back to the Toby Hooper Salem's Lot. Yeah. Or uh, he's got probably the most, uh that sucks death scene in Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm. And I always like seeing him. And, yeah, I think he's acting circles around everyone else. I think it's funny that he wears a bad wig for the opening scene. Yeah. And then 25 years later, he looks exactly the same except yep. for he's bald. Yep. <laughs> but, this, but this is the Van Damme movie, yes. so, like, yeah, I get and it. And the bad guy who killed his parents looks exactly the same. 25 years, not a fucking Bolo Young. I don't Bolo know. Young. Yeah, he brought Bolo Young. I guess that he enjoyed working with him on Blood. They're Sports. friends, apparently. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you were saying he likes to bring... Uh, talent from behind the camera will Bolo yeah. Young he's got a real good villain face and like he yeah. shoots his mom in the face with a fucking shotgun okay. in the opening of this movie okay so I do have, like I came up with this little ditty it's really bad but here we go anytime anytime you have Bolo your movie is never a no-no uh, <laughs> oh my god that's so bad when I say it but you wrote it down and repeated it out loud for the for the record on I feel movie. shame now so yeah the movie is dealing with the brothers meeting each other yeah. and them trying to get a stake of their initial inheritance, which was trying to be denied them. Yeah. Originally, they should have been assassinated too. So uh, they're going to bond over yeah. the course of this adventure, hopefully, yeah. and they're going to make their fortune over the course of this adventure. And like I say, it's speckled with unintentionally hilarious scenes. The scene yeah. at the beginning of the movie where he's like, teaching that course with all the women yeah. and they're gawking yeah. at him and he's doing yeah. the splits and there's like a fucking gratuitous like <laughs> close up of his ass and tights see that's what like, I'm talking about you have to have at least one Van Damme glute shot and like of all the people like there's a room full of women there cast just to be there to yeah. be in love with Jean-Claude yes but what reads in the scene is that the person who's most in love with Jean-Claude in that scene yeah. is very clearly Jean-Claude. <laughs> yes. He barely looks at the women. Yeah. He's fucking like in love with himself. He and it's so unselfconsciously hilarious. I know. Like I know. Also, can I say other than like he's very muscular and healthy, but yeah. the clothes that he's wearing are way too tight. It's fucking hilarious. Like, yeah. like it looks like bad eighties fashion and we're yeah. well into the nineties here. Like yeah. at the time he would have looked ridiculous, yes. I think. Like, even yeah. to the period of this movie. I do think that's deliberate, though. Do you? Because I really got the feeling like he thought he looked amazing. I mean, his brother makes fun of the clothes that he makes later. Like, yeah. obviously, they're trying to differentiate the yeah. characters. Yeah. And that's what the movie does to help Jean-Claude's acting, is, like, yeah. they look very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they wouldn't be friends, but they are brothers, so they have to learn to respect each other. Yeah. Sigh. Yeah. Again, all I can do is pull threads in this movie, but yeah. if I'm asked, honestly, did I have a bad time watching it? No, I didn't have a bad yeah. time watching it. 
It's not good. No. It's not good. No. But it's kind of fun and good fun to laugh at. Yes. But I'm as much laughing at it yes. as with it. So yes. that's where I would start with Double Impact. Okay. So what do the Corsican brothers, the end of canon films, and Enter the Dragon have in common, Larry? Uh, twins. Uh, yes. Well, Double Impact, I would say. So Sheldon Latich had, had made Lionheart for canon films with Van Damme, and this is when he was just starting to become popular. But canon films was broke. They had Death Warrant uh, also in the can, and they couldn't pay Sheldon Latich the money. So what they agreed to is that uh, Canon Films had the, the film rights to the Corsican Brothers, and so they gave it to Sheldon Latich, who was also a long t- a longtime friend of Van Damme. They've worked a couple times together. I think Legionnaire, Lionheart, um, Double Impact, and I think there's another film. Like They actually do have a long history of working together. And I will agree that he's one of those filmmakers that gets and understands Van Damme, what works and what doesn't, what doesn't. And I think that Van Damme both and Sheldon knew um, that Van Damme could be obviously full of himself and kind of goofy and silly, and hence we get the Chad character yeah. in Double Impact. You know the, the the you know the the very polo shirts, the tight things, all of that, and it's a sort of a hyper extension of Van Damme's personality. I think Van Damme was not afraid to make fun of himself. I think he knew that there was a public persona of Van Damme, and then there's the real Von Vattenberg, whatever his actual name is. Just like Chad, you know, this is Van Damme wanting to be cool as a kid, and that's that sort of hyper extension, real, you know, realized as the Alex character. Um, but they then could then write Van Damme says, "Cool, let's do this Corsican Brothers script," and they rewrote it and came out with Double Impact. Um, Cannon Brothers had gone, you know, had gone under at that point. Uh, they Death Warrant was sold to MGM, and Columbia Pictures then uh, bought Double Impact, and off they off they went to go make it. They got to Hong Kong, and Van Damme considers Hong Kong his second home, and they pulled a whole bunch of money from it. So Van Damme then agreed because he wanted to shoot a good portion of this movie in Hong Kong as a sort of tribute both to the city but also Enter the Dragon, which is a film that he deeply loves, which is why we have also Polo Young in the movie. Right. And he gave up a lot of his a paycheck. He got paid $750,000 for this movie. So, respect Jean-Claude. Um, he <laughs> didn't he played two parts. Yeah, yeah. He didn't get really paid up until, I think, what was, the, um, he didn't really get paid up until his contract with Universal. That's when he made his millions. Yeah. So he took it, you know, he, he, this was one of his pipe dreams, or not pipe dreams, this is one of his pet dreams here with this movie. Uh, and he wanted, as also as a love letter to Hong Kong, a city that he grew in love with. Um, and they, they then took that Corsican Brothers script and they came up with double impact for what you will. Well, it is so 90s. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the traditional Corsican Brothers thing is that there's these twins who feel each other's pain. Yeah. And they don't really do much with that as far as, like, in this. The Cheech and Chong Corsican Brothers... It's a loose interpretation. (laughs) But the Cheech and Chong Corsican Brothers is probably closer to an adaptation than than, than this as far as that sort of story. 100%. And that's not me. 100%. Like, again, that's a silly whatever movie anyway. Yeah. Um... There's a sequence in this movie that I'd like completely forgotten existed. Sure. I watched this is one I very definitely watched on the couch with my dad, but uh, the awkward good quote unquote Van Damme that we've been talking about is that the Chad? Yes. 
um, is a Chad. He's spending a lot of times with the bad Jean-Claude Van Tam's girlfriend. Yes. And in fact, there's a... She fails to recognize their twins initially. And yes. She's almost about to go down on him when <laughs> he yeah. first meets his brother. Not the best way to get off the foot, but... Alona Shaw is the woman's name. I do okay. want to mention her. So there's this scene that cuts between... Uh, the bad Jean-Claude Van Damme drinking alcohol and having a temper tantrum and sort of having his footloose dance, rage dance, yeah. while imagining his twin brother having this like Red Shoe Diaries level yeah. like slow-mo, gratuitity yeah. sex scene. It's an embarrassing sex scene, man. And I remember being super uncomfortable sitting on the couch next to my dad yeah. watching yep. this. This is, like, yep. this is not what I wanted in this yep. movie. Yep. Watching it now, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Both like his reaction to his own fantasies yeah. and just like like how insecure this Van Damme is. Yeah. Like, say what you will, Chad comes off as like someone who, you know that really painfully awkward phase that yeah. all, all teenagers go through? Yeah. He never defeated it. That just that just became who he was. Yeah. And yet, in that scene, the yeah. quote-unquote cool badass Van Damme yeah. is the lamest motherfucker yep. in the world. Yep. It's so, it's such a cringy, yeah. but kind of hilarious scene yep. that I, yep. I really wanted to mention because, yeah. and again, it stops the movie. It goes yep. on for a really long time, cut walking and punching the wall and spitting and drinking and Red Shoe Diary yeah. sex scene focused on Jean-Claude's ass. Yeah, like, and her breasts. Yeah. Yep. Not since Friday the not since the Friday the thirteenth remake has a gratuitous sex scene been so uncomfortable and like long. Yeah. Like it you just really, like, really hangs let's th- let it end, people. <laughs> like <laughs> just let it end like this doesn't even look like real sex with like, like just with the all orgasmic like faces and like the spinning around and everything I do want to shout out the DP because like I do think it's it is pretty well shot where is it here oh man uh, Richard H. Klein um, it, it's a very 90s shot movie I can always tell a 90s movie where there's always steam coming out of the sewer of the street. Smoke-filled rooms. Yeah, smoke-filled rooms. Like, that's a very 90s thing, and Double Impact is full of them. But I I will give the lighting sequence in that ridiculous sex scene. It does have that Red Shoes Diaries, but it is... Like, I love the blue and red gels against skin. There's something about it that I really like. Um, It also... There's that fight scene near the end where one of the henchmen with the spurs... You see it in the trailer. That's also really well shot. Van Damme, like a lot of action stars, had like a whole team of stunt people. Uh, this guy's name is yeah, Peter Molata. You'll see him again. He's actually in a lot of Van Damme movies, but he's in The Quest as the sort of a Spanish uh, fighter. Right. Um, that sequence itself is really well shot, where you know Van Damme comes out of the dark with that guy. Uh, and then they have that fight sequence. Fight sequence. I've always loved how that how that sequence is shot, just both with the black and white, but also the red and the blue gels, and and how that's used. Love that sequence. Yeah. So it is technically a well made movie uh, from that point. Um, poor Alana Shaw cannot act. Every time she opens her mouth, I'm reminded how much of a model she is. Yeah. Well, and she's not asked again to do much. She's like. Well, there's that awkward misunderstanding when she first sees the twin. Yeah. And then rescue me, rescue me, and yeah. pseudo sex like 
quite graphic sex scene, as we've been saying. Yeah. Um, I don't know that this is a fair way to say, like, was she good, was she bad? Yeah. She did not distinguish herself. <laughs> and, fair like, enough. This didn't kick down a bunch of doors for her. I don't remember seeing No, she didn't do much after this. I just, you know, you've got someone like Jeffrey Lewis who actually brings, every, every scene he's in, he's very believable and, you know, really classes up the whole film in every scene. So, yeah, I got someone like Jeffrey Lewis and then you've got her. You, it, it, it gets painful to watch how they ha- throw their lines together because one is clearly a professional actor and the other one, this is her first and really only big major gig. She had a TV show before and I think something after and then... She's a prop. Yeah. She's a prop in the movie. Um... I know during the casting they had another actor. She she's in True Lies. She's in Wayne's World. I'm forgetting her name right now. She's really good. That was between her and a Lewis, and I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Ah, she's the kind of girlfriend in Wayne's World. Taya Carrera. Taya Carrera. Thank you, Larry. Uh, she was up for it, and the and the director in the studio wanted her, but Van Damme had chemistry according to Van Damme with Shaw and hence that's when she got the point and I really wish it was the other way around Uh, also shout out to Karina Everson she was a she is a uh, bodybuilder she plays one of the evil henchmen right yeah you know whenever she's on she's good but Bolo Young man Bolo fucking Young like that when that man just looks at you it's like you're being looked into your soul and I'm (laughs) I'm in the safety of my room but damn like I said, when you have Bolo, your movie is never a no-no. You went back to it. I did. Doubling down on that. If we're, if we're going full cheese, we got it, dude. <laughs> I will say that uh, the deeper into the movie, the less into the movie I was starting to get. Like uh, I was ready for the movie to be over before yeah. the movie was over. And a lot of it had to do with scenes that just hang on there a little bit too long. Yeah. Like that sex scene and like the sort of... I hate your guts, but I'm going to learn to respect you scenes that we yeah. have repeated against the brothers. Yeah. And sometimes the split screen is not bad, but there yeah. are other times where like, you're not fooling anybody. With yeah, but that's shot. also the technology at the time. And again, it has this sort of double-edged sword thing. It's sort of client, like the lack of eyeline and the awkwardness of the exchange kind yeah. of goes full, turns things around and yeah. becomes enjoyable to me. Like, it's, yes. But it's not seamless. Like, with Lord of the Rings, you forget, you know, the the, the scale, the size yeah. difference, or, or the twinning, or whatever they're doing. Maybe the first few shots, you're like, wow, that's impressive, but then you forget about it, and you get locked into the story. Yeah. And that never happens here. Okay. And by the time we're getting, like, jacked up for the big conclusion, and are they going to both get out of this, and are they going to... Of course, you know, like, yeah. I'm not... Yeah. The stakes just aren't there. Yeah. I watch oh. it play out to yeah. watch it play out, but yeah. I'm not, like, chewing my nails oh, about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, for whatever minimal thing it was accomplishing in Hard Target, I, I could say, uh, I don't remember, did, did Wilford Brimley get it? I should, I'm should. i worried for Wilford yeah. Brimley. Oh, yeah. I've got something going yeah. into that final action sequence. Yeah. In this movie, going into the final action sequence, I feel like, nothing. I feel nothing. Yeah. We all know what's going to happen. We're yeah. just going to watch it play out. And sure, that's going to be true of a lot of the other movies we have here, but uh, they spend a lot of time setting it up and building yeah. to it. So I think like if they'd have had a little bit more of a punchy ending, yeah. more of a memorable ending, yeah. It might have fought its way a little bit higher on the list for me. Yeah. It's not bad, again, in this crowd of movies. Yeah. But it's yeah. not amazing. Yeah. I am also going to do another shout out to veteran Hong Kong actor Philip Chan and the British actor Alan Scarf, who are the uh, double villains as well. They're evil. Yes. Well, um, you need those guys in these yeah, movies. Yeah. They're, they're 
They're cool. When some terrible act of violence happens to them, we're not allowed to be emotionally devastated. It's yeah. got to be like, yeah, that's what you get, fucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Double Impact, once again, it's... <laughs> yeah, I think you, yeah, you, you've said it correctly that there's really no deep emotional stakes. No. It, it's all really aesthetic, like, on the surface, visually kind of impressive, but there's no deep story. Like, yeah. It's a little bit more, it feels like you were saying they got their budget cut. It, this feels like a little bit more money was put into it than some of the other ones. Well, we at, at, at that point, it was probably like the most money ever made, or most money ever put to a Van Damme project. Um, but if they wanted to continue shooting in Hong Kong, um, they got their budget cut. And Van Damme had, you know, gave uh, some of, gave a lot of his salary to it. So I respect Van Damme, respect. Right. They then had, they ran out of money and they filmed the rest of it in uh, L.A., but I do like a lot of the sequences in Hong Kong from a stylish perspective. And once again, like this, this movie came out when John Woo was just becoming like huge overseas. There's lots of John Wooisms, like the double gun barrel thing is there, the, the, the slow motion action sequence. See, that's all like a giant tribute to John Woo. Um, I think any any scene where we have an actor or a, villain or a villain's walking away from a car slow motion and something explodes oh everything to John Woo for that and there's, there's lots of this in Double Impact yeah. um, slow-mo badassery yeah even when Van Damme is like leaping from his feet like he's on the ground and then like starts to leap up and, the, ah! and he leaps up with his black muscle shirt like it's 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 funny to me. I love it. It's, it's, Do you it's have so... an award to give out for this particular movie? Oh, no, Jeffrey just... Lewis. Thank you. Oh, okay. Once again, genre actor. This is another Cole Hauser award winner. Um, I'm giving it to Jeffrey Lewis. Here's another character actor, Way of the Gun. Yeah, Salem's Lot. And I like that. Like he's probably a dude. He's been in dozens of movies that you've seen. Yeah. But he could probably also go and get his own groceries and not yeah. be hassled, which is like the way to do it, as far as I'm concerned. He's no longer with us, sadly. Oh, did he pass away? I, I think he did. I, I think he did. Um, but he's the father of Juliet Lewis as well. And he's also in Lawnmower Man. I, I, I rewatched that interesting movie recently. I don't know. He always played these really good-natured. Characters, there was some warmth about him, but also this sort of believability to it. He always, whenever you saw him in a movie, he would class up the joint. Yeah. So, you know, a shout out to Jeffrey Lewis, um, and he's good in the movie as as the sort of uncle who raises Chad and brings Alex together. Um, Not a yeah, kind of a thankless role, but well played. And your critic, although I can buy your criticism that like there's really no emotional stakes. We do feel a little bit of twinge when the uncle gets tortured. We know that he's not going to die. Like I never bought for a second, even when the villains, you know, put the gun to the uncle, the uncle's head, and then cuts away, knowing that he's dead. It's all a ploy. No body, no death. Yeah, right. but I was like, oh, not the nice uncle. Yeah, he brought me the closest to caring about things. I know. But and, and at the end of the day, I think Double Impact is kind of just another Van Damme movie. Yes. No, no disrespect to Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah, yeah. But, Larry, do you feel the impact? <laughs> I felt the double impact. Yeah. Detective Burke, we want to send you undercover into Harrison as a prisoner. Van Damme is Burke. You're not going to last too long. It's not a threat. It's a promise. He's got the toughest job a cop can do. Prisoners hate cops more than anything else. It's a hit list. 
You're a dead man. His cover has been blown. What are you doing in my prison? It's too late. You dare to say Your number's next on the list. And the odds are impossible. Welcome to hell! Van Damme. He loves a good fight. Warrant. So usually a bit of Canadian content will score you extra points on this podcast. Yeah. So in this particular film, Death Warrant, Jean-Claude Van Damme plays declarated Canadian police officer. Yes. Uh, Louis Burke. Louis Burke. And, um, well, there's, it's interesting. I feel like this, of all the scripts, of the ones that we're talking about, yeah. is the least compatible to Van Damme, in that it's asking him to be less about his physical prowess, yes. and more about uh, being like a psychological tactician. Sure. He gets put undercover in this prison, yeah. and he has to figure out who the corrupt people are and how to take them down, yeah. while keeping himself alive and protecting his cover. Yeah. And it's a much more suspenseful thriller world yeah. than pure hardcore uh, martial arts action, which yeah. is what we're more traditionally going to be respect. Like, that's that's what we want from Van Damme. That's what we expect yeah. from Van Damme. Yeah. So, of all the movies, it's furthest from that. And I think it hurts the movie a lot. Yeah. And uh, there was all this talk about, like, well, they, they'd approached different actors with it. They kind yeah. of settled on Van Damme. And yeah. I totally, totally believe that. Yeah. The other thing is David S. Goyer. You. Yep. Who wrote the screenplay, who is one of the most frustratingly inconsistent writers that we have. Yep. The man fucking wrote Dark City. Yep. But he also did the Blade movies. Yep. Right? Yep. Like, he, he contributed to, dark, to Batman. Co-wrote Batman Begins, I do believe The also. Dark Knight. He yeah. got, got us a credit on The Dark Knight. He also has a credit on Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. And as yeah. much as you and I have, like, a guilty pleasure reaction to that movie, yeah. like, again, he's just all over the place. This is one of, if not, like, his first screen credit. Yes. And it's a bad script. Yes. Like, and it announces itself loudly. Like, this opening scene where he fights this... Sandman? The yeah. Sandman. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, wait for backup. He killed my partner. I will not wait for backup. Yeah. And then he meets the Sandman. And Sandman, I'm going to kill you just like I killed your partner. Yeah. No, you will not. I yeah. hate you for killing my partner. Like, yeah. the dialogue is fucking terrible. Yes. Like, red-faced embarrassed. Like, yep. wow, holy shit. The fact that he was able to stick around... And make a career in Hollywood despite this screenplay Dude. is shocking. But I mean, I don't want to take his career away from him because he did do some good things. But yeah. like, respectfully, or I guess disrespectfully, yeah. wow. Yeah. There was not a lot to work with here. You. And giving it to Van Damme meant that you took that not a lot of work with and yeah. you handed it to somebody who isn't an actor. Yes. And it sinks the whole ship. If I think you've the script seen helps, a prison, though. if you've seen any prison thriller or any prison drama ever, yeah. you've seen this movie. You yeah. might as well not watch this movie yeah. because you've seen this movie. Yeah. The one guy that helps him out becomes a sympathetic character and has one of the cruelest fates in the movie. Yeah. The guards are corrupt and more evil than most of the people in the prison. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, the Sandman shows up to complicate things in the third act. Yeah. It could have been written while, while you were asleep and it 
feels very by the numbers in its execution. Yes. Like it does nothing to distinguish or recognize or like if I was to say, but there's this sequence which yeah. really stands out or like this was a well done moment. Nah, it was all pretty much bland sauce to me is yep. my honest response. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> so not a ringing endorsement of Death Warrant. Okay. Well, part of this is is that this was originally a Canon film. They shot it, and once again, I talked about this earlier, but then Canon had it gone... It was shelved, yeah. It, 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 they'd gone under, and so they sold the film to Metro-Golden-Mayer. And if you look at it through that eyes, because Canon films, they're exploitation movies. This is a prison exploitation movie through and through. It was never going to be good. Well, they um, could have gone harder with it then. Like, make it super brutal or super hella something like that. Yeah, know. sure, that, that's, that, that's possible. I do wonder if this is David S. Goyer's, what we call a spec script, where, you know, screenwriters are asked to write, you know, what, is your, what do you think your, your best original script is, uh, you know, the studios would ask. And I do wonder if, this, if Death Warrant was, this is the script that he wrote just out of film school. Goyer is a comic book guy. He, you know, he's yeah. admittedly he's admitted that you know. I he, think he works better if he has someone else's structure to balance off. Maybe, yeah, like yeah, it's possible. But I mean, the man has a big career in Hollywood, and yeah. I mean, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Respect. No, you know, and Dark again, City. that's what exactly what yeah. I'm saying. He's inconsistent. Yeah. You would have never believed the guy who wrote the Dark Knight. Yeah, wrote fucking Death Warrant. Yeah, because like night and day. Yeah, but it does. You hit all those prison exploitation uh, flicks uh, checklist. Do we have prison cells that are somehow insanely bigger than they ever you know should be? Check prison sex. Check. Yeah. Um, do we have you know the, you know the sort of old age uh, prison guy who will get seriously injured but in take one from the team but we really like check. Do you remember the show Benson, Larry? I do. Robert Guillaume. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird seeing Robert Guillaume high as balls in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Especially considering... And this dude's in Roots and everything. But it's just weird seeing him... I was just taken aback. That's all I'm saying. And but good again, for Robert he Guillaume. He stands out because he's a real actor amongst... Yeah. You know, extras. There's a different narrative about the whole Van Damme wanting to look good on screen, which I can see. Um, we don't go to Kung Fu films... To to she to see Shakespeare would we, would that be a fair statement? It's true, but there are there is sort of a box that we're put in when we say we're watching a martial arts movie, and we yeah. kind of want you to stay in that box. Yeah, and you know, and sometimes those films can, out, can go beyond the limitations. Couching Tiger, Hidden Dragon would be yeah. a shiny example, but I can understand Van Damme wanting to at least look good on camera, doing his kicks and splits, and, you know, also looking at his muscular body. But that's also the 80s and 90s, you know, kind of thing. Um, but the dude cannot act in this movie. And there's nothing fun about it. Yeah. I mean, I complained about the goofiness in Double Impact, but it yeah. was kind of fun. I complained about the cheesiness in Hard Target, but yeah. it was kind of fun. There's nothing fun here. In yeah. fact, like, there's... It's again, it wouldn't happen today. Yeah. But they really play up the racism yeah. in the guards. Yeah. And like, not just a little bit, they go to it repeatedly. That one character actor, uh, I wanted to shout out, because I do think he's good in the movie. He's hateable, which is what you want. Art Lafleur. Art Lafleur, thank you. But like, there's this whole scene where he's talking about the Robert Guillaume Fleur, where he says, I can quote, smell the nigger. Ooh. And you're like, holy shit. Shit, right? So 
not only is it not fun like the other ones, it's at times kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's a not entirely unfair reflection of the homosexual population in prison, but yeah. they do vamp it up quite a bit. And yeah. again, they all have to be in love on site yeah. with Jean-Claude Van Damme. It becomes this ego thing again. Yeah. Um, I do love the fact, in a very bad movie kind of way, uh, is if you honestly take out the serial killer subplot, nothing else of the movie changes. No. It is only there to be in the beginning. We never see the Sandman character uh, portrayed by Patrick Kilpatrick. The This is the uh, Jerry Award winning actor that I'm going to talk about one. here for, for Death Warrant. Um, showed up in Class of 1999. Um he worked with Van Damme more than more than once as well. Free Willy Three, <laughs> Scanners, The Showdown, The Substitute, Part Two, um, The Stand. That's right, The Stand. He's in Remo Fucking Williams. The Adventure <laughs> Begins. I just saw that again recently. Well, upon watching this movie, I was like, I know you from something. I know yeah. you from something. And it turned out the thing I recognized him from was The Stand. He plays one of those remorseless Stephen King villains. Oh in right, the Stand. He usually plays villains. He's in Under Siege Two. As an evil henchman, the replacement killers. Anyway, so uh, Mr. Kilpatrick, you are for this specific this episode as well a uh, Cole Hauser, Jerry Award winning actor. But he has to choke down some of the worst dialogue, even more than than John Claude. I'm sorry, man. At the beginning, yeah, again, his whole persona. But then, like again, we could try, try to push plot. Like he's put in undercover to solve this problem, and then the people who hired him decide that they don't want him to solve this problem, so yeah. they send the Sandman in to take him out. Yeah, it's totally stupid. It like, makes no sense. Try a little bit harder. Yeah. Like again, the writing is brutal. <laughs> yeah, and the stuff that he is specifically asked to say, like, yeah. But it also works against like it's not doing it very well, but it's trying to have this sort of real world stakes heavy, dark thriller thing going yeah. for it. And the second the Sandman enters the scene, like, again, we're much closer to the Van Damme universe, and yeah. like, this villain makes no sense, and is like, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't fit in the movie. Yeah. He's a he's a good action villain yeah. thrown in this yeah. half-baked thriller movie, yeah. and he doesn't need to be there. He, not at all. It, it, like... You don't need him. You don't need him. You could the villains could easily be the prison guards and the people pulling the strings strings with a whole body organ storyline. He does not need to be there, which is just kind of funny. I do giggle that he's French Canadian. <laughs> I do giggle. <laughs> I mean, he does have a French accent. He doesn't sound like that French Canadian accent no. to me. But uh, and then there's also the secondary B plot where he's got this handler who's posing as his wife who comes in Cindy to visit Gibb is him. the actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have no chemistry. Yes. <laughs> and uh, their relationship doesn't really contribute anything. I mean, she shows up at the end and puts a towel over him and put, puts him in the car as he leaves. Like, but there's no payoff. Yeah. It's all set up and no payoff. And there's there's no big Red Shoe Diary sex scene or anything like this. There's It's just... It's just present. It's just there. Yeah. It's there to pad out the running time of the movie so that it gets to 90 minutes, you know? Yeah. No, I know. Um, she is completely wasted in this movie. Um, I do also love Abdul Salam El-Razak, who plays kind of like... I, I want to see this like voodoo priestess. He has this like insanely huge prison cell covered in all kinds of stuff and, and this is a cliche a harem of transvestites yeah and I'm just like 
Why are you here? Oh, wait a second. This is a prison exploitation movie. So, of course, we have to have this ridiculous thing. And we got to give him a really grisly fate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just... just he dares to help the good guy. Exactly. But a special shout-out to him. But, yeah, Death Warrant... It almost feels like this is a bunch of scripts put together uh, to make a sort of a complete script. That That's how it kind of feels. And in defense of Jean-Claude Van Damme, if they had gotten Bruce Willis or Chuck Norris or yeah. whoever else... I don't think it was a salvageable script. Like, no. This was always destined to be a completely forgettable thriller, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. A completely forgettable thriller. I kept on waiting for that scene to come that makes me go, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I get it now. Yeah. It never happened. Yeah. And uh, it could have maybe with The Sandman, but again, he was just so out of another movie that yeah. I was just like, yeah, I was I was already pretty checked out by the time yeah. he made his quote unquote triumphant return. You can't kill me, but come to Siren Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He says, "Well, a bolt is penetrating his skull." Like. Yeah, and then Venom <laughs> corrects his jaw. Yeah, I know. Um, Sigh. Death Warrant, I think, is one of the last movies to incorporate that three take action shot. Kick, kick, kick. That, that was notorious. Like that was that was a Van Damme. You yeah. had to have it in his early movies. Lionheart is bad for it. Side <laughs> movies yeah. just repeating the same kicks. Yeah, I imagine if they cut that down, that movie's like seventy minutes wet. <laughs> Um, Cyborg's really bad for that. Kickbox is really bad for that. Thankfully, they got rid of it as his career went along. Yeah. Um, because it's ridiculous. And in fact, it was called the double impact shot. Huh? Right. Huh? Um, but there's lots of those in this movie. And you're just like, oh, yeah, there's the sign of the times of the 80s. Well, you talk about his level of self-awareness. And I do believe there's a percentage of it. But yeah. you should know where your skill set is. Yeah. In a weird way, being the almost wordless, vengeful dude in Cyborg yeah. is much more to a skill set than playing someone who's multitasking and playing this psychological chess game in yeah. a prison thriller. He just doesn't fit here. No, I know. I know. He, like, it, the film is talent-wise way over his head, but at this point of his, of his career, because he was at one point the next Bruce Lee. He was, he was champion as that because yeah. we gotta love those splits. I, an ouch, by the yeah. way. Um... You know his bread and butter. What you know was that, and also those that, that multiple shots. Um, we're there to see Van Dam be Van Dam. Yeah. You know, at this point, you know, that's that's his raison d'être. I don't know. That's the wrong word. Better. I mean, like maybe he was just trying to stretch what he was yeah. going to do. He was doing, yeah. This isn't the same Van Dam script, yeah. and sometimes that'll pay off. Yeah. Not this. No, no. Is that good enough? That's good enough. No more death warrant. They know how he thinks. It's always the same MO with slight variations. He's got partial prints, trace evidence, blood type even, but uh, still no torch. But to find out who he is, they'll need more than just his fingerprints. So this is a clone of the killer. So 
Replicant is the other Jean-Claude Van Damme movie that doubles down on your Van Damme. And get twice the Van Damme, which equals good, apparently. <laughs> but, like, having done a couple of these before, I guess, like, he knows how to do it, and they, they just put the bold settings on with both of these. Like, the bad Van Damme in this is really fucking bad. <laughs> and the good Van Damme is, like, this hilarious... It made me think of Mila Hohovich in The Fifth Element. Sure. Like, this, like, yeah. lost, wandering child just discovering the world for the first time. Yeah. But uh, I found Mila Hohovich a little easier on the eyes and ears than, than I did Jean-Claude. Shame on you, Larry, but okay. I have to say I did enjoy bad Van Damme in this. Just okay. because of, like, how over-the-top bad they made it, like... He runs over a guy in a wheelchair yep. at one point. Oh, yeah. He uses another guy in a wheelchair as kind of a human shield yeah. at another point. Like, uh, anytime he's making an escape, he will go out of his way to make the civilian casualties maximized around him. He just shoots people for no reason. He has to be one of the dumbest serial killers ever put on screen. <laughs> How though. he isn't caught is just, well, that's a whole other question. Yeah. These are questions that you just can't ask. Yeah. And I'm aware of this yeah. in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. There's a lot of like wiggle room you got to give these movies. Sure, you got to like face off, for instance. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. a completely fucking ludicrous suspension premise, of disbelief. And you have to go with it, or the movie's just not going to work for you. Yeah. So the question is: Is there a premise so ludicrous that it can't sustain the Jean Claude Van Damme movie? And of this list, Replicant comes closest to that. <laughs> I think. The idea that there's this mass murderer, serial killer, evil Van Damme, and their solution is to clone him perfectly. <laughs> We're going to clone him perfectly, and he's going to have all his skill sets and memories as a criminal, sure. but have no other basic understanding of the world. Yep. And, and just, like, see what happens. And then you have Michael Rooker <coughs> trying his hell, like, really hard to keep a straight face. Yeah. To the increasingly ludicrous turns yes. of the plot. Yeah. But what it does have going for it, which Death Warrant didn't, is just the size of the silliness. Like, sure. It is so grossly over the top and redonkulous that it actually kind of hits that hypnotizing level of face-off. Like, I, I just relent. Okay, well, this is happening now. Let's okay. go with it. Sure, like, I buy that. At some point, I just had to stop fighting the movie. Okay, but that does not mean that it's a good movie. No. <laughs> Again, it was just like, this is definitely a Van Damme movie. This is definitely playing the notes that we expect to hear and see from a Van Damme movie. Yeah. But holy shit, is it ever also a hot mess? Yeah. I sort of bounce between laughing with it and at it. Oh. I'm not bored. But again, it would be a hard thing to honestly say to anyone, yeah, Replicant's a good movie. You should totally check that out. No. If this is your thing, if yeah. you're a Lee Beckman, if, you, a if you're Damme a Van Damme apologist. man and you have not seen Replicant, it's worth it just for the evil Van Damme. But there's a lot of shit that you got to put up with to the left and right. Sure. A, a, a affectionate but very mixed review okay. for Replicant. Wow. Um, well, I'm going to start by saying on December 28th, 2002... The, the cult known as Clonade had a scientist slash representative known as Bridget Bossillier, and she gave a worldwide press conference claiming that 
her organization had successfully cloned a baby girl named Eve. Whether you believe the Aurelian-connected cult actually was telling the truth about their scientific triumph is irrelevant in this case, but Hollywood definitely took notice <laughs> because soon after, the following years, we had films like Godsend with Robert De Niro, Surrogates with Bruce Willis, which also had Michael Rooker in it, um, and we had Arnold with The Sixth Day. So, of course, Van Damme had to have his clone movie. Um, you talked about how much you love evil Van Damme. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I giggled that they decided to make, portray him as sort of Just a... Just how evil he was. Like yeah, that. but as a Euro-trash terrorist more than a serial killer. Right. Like, in my head, every time that ki- that the killer came on, I was like... <laughs> right. Like, just dance techno music. Even as he's, like, you know, scaling down the stairs, you know, trying to get away from Michael Rooker, I literally had some, like, trashy, you know dance music in my head but at that point I went is that because I'm like not into the movie or am I into this movie for a different reason am I imagining the Zucker Brothers sort of spoof of this movie while I'm watching the actual movie yeah yeah the director is Ringo Lamb, another connection to Asia. The guy did he can handle an action movie he, he did he did City on Fire I remember seeing it but Thought it was okay, but it has been decades. Um, he did another... His big film with Van Damme was Maximum Risk. Right. Um, which had some pretty cool action sequences and cool stunts, but the story I remember being meh. Um, but I probably it, saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I remember Natasha Henstridge in it, and for the reasons that I'm right. extremely... Right. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, but this movie... It took me a while to actually get into this movie because it's so cliche. We've got the, you know the burnt out cop who's retiring but can't because he's got to stop the, you know the killer, you know the, the one the one killer that he's he got never to settle got. his books before he <coughs> and you know once again the Jerry Award winning Michael Rooker Cole Hauser Award winner Rookering all over the place. Oh yeah, he that, I like that. That's a verb. <laughs> he's Rookering all over the place. This is definitely more the big end Rooker sort of howling at the screen, growling at yeah. you. Um, like I said, that's increasingly what he's been leaning on in his career. Yeah. But sometimes I miss the quiet, reserved Michael Rooker of like the Henry portrait of a serial killer. Yeah. He used to do closer to like that David Morse style of like burning, rumbling, sort of like yeah. dangerous performance. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of miss those. But yeah. uh, he's definitely to the task here. He's doing what's asked of him. Yeah. But shout out, like this dude has been in a whole bunch of movies, oh, yeah. both good and bad. Uh, we did mention The Sixth Day. Obviously, he got his big break with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He's sort of uh, James Gunn's lucky charm. He's yeah, in a lot yeah, of James he, Gunn movies. Yeah, he is definitely in He's great for the, what little moments he's in in The Suicide Squad. Slither, baby. Oh, Slither. <laughs> Slither. He is terrifying in Mississippi Burning. Right. I mean, I believe every moment he's on that screen, but that man is pure and evil impulse. He's able to burn brightly in this movie once yeah. again. Because he's working against Jean-Claude I'm being really mean about the acting here, but it's but, just how I feel. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I don't mind that. I was way... The point where I all of a sudden peaked up is when we, we spent time with the innocent clone Van Damme. The Forrest Gump Van Damme. I think his performance is unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's trying. I don't even know Van Damme. I wonder if he actually read the script. I, I, I just kind of wonder because what... what 
is asked of him is so embarrassing, especially when he's the clone. You're just like, dude, He doesn't dude. understand how the world works, but he has lethal killing skills. Yeah. And memories of doing brutal, evil crimes. Yeah. And yet, in spite of this, he's adorable. It is. I just love the fact the first thing you can do is do the pummel horse. Uh. Forget walking and talking. He just, he wakes up, and then all of a sudden starts doing the pummel horse. And I went, uh. now nah, I know why I'm starting to like this movie. <laughs> Because uh, I was worried, man. It took me a couple of times to get through it, but then also when the clone showed up and they're trying to have this relationship with this angry... And Michael Rooker treats him terribly. Like, locks him up and... Well, no. To a degree, understandably, but... Yes. To, to a degree, understandably? Nah, man. Like, think about Like, he's literally a science experiment. Yeah. And is, like, treated like a slave. You know, he's you know hit over the head. He's handcuffed. Like... And if this was actually a science fiction movie that was yeah. going to be touching on all of these sort of deeper issues, yeah. that's great. But that's not what this movie is. No, was. no. I know, I know. <laughs> and at some point you just got to say, fuck it, and let's just go. And I think that's the problem with the slowness in the first act, because it does have such a sci-fi premise. Yeah. they got to feed us a lot of information in the first act, more than we're used to yeah. in this type of Van Damme yeah. experience. I've never understood with the clone movies, because like, that is a sort of subgenre of its own. Why is it that you know, if one person, you know, feels or, you know, does something, the other clone can, like, literally see it. I know it's suspension of disbelief once yeah. again, but where did that come from? Well, I don't but know. But again, that's much closer to the Korskin Brothers angle, which they were supposedly going to be playing in uh, yeah. uh, in Double Impact. Yeah. Uh, but, I don't know. Again, this is all face-off science. This is, like, ludicrous, crazy science fiction that makes sense only to help or hinder the, the, the script, right? Yeah. The hooker with a heart of gold story narrative. It's like, ah, uh, dude, we, we go there. He doesn't know that she's a prostitute. Yeah. He's just so innocent. Again, I go back to the, the fifth element. Yeah. It's just like, um, and it's supposed to be funny, but it's really gross. Yeah. Like, like, and then she calls her pimp on him, and yeah. then uh, he beats the fucking hell out of her pimp, and then all of a sudden she decides that she's into him. Yeah. And, like... Again, you're just not sure if you're laughing with it or at it. Yeah. I guess it's not boring, but it's it's not helping the movie for me. Yeah. I, I think for me what really hurts Replicant is like there's not a single original bone or DNA strand in this movie. No. Like this movie has been taken like, they take all the elements from obviously stronger movies, and to me that's the main problem, uh, which sort of drags the movie down. Um, the killer, of course, you know, had a bad mama. And so whenever he sees like a mother having probably a real adult moment whatever like it triggers him but then he has to go and kill this woman in almost broad daylight in a kitchen which makes me go you're not like how have you survived this long is this like the most inept you know police department but whatever we're these, gonna all of these movies exist in a world where we can't ask these kinds I of know, questions I know but I guess I rolled my eyes at the end where he, you know, the the replicant finds true love with the prostitute, and they literally walk off together holding hands. And I went, "All right, it's that movie. Um, it's I don't know. Like there, there, everything about the the naive clone replicant I love in a in so bad it's good sort of way. Right. But everything else is so generic that honestly, this is the movie that could like fall into the cinematic ether." And I'll probably never visit it ever again. Right. Well, there's some, and it's like nauseating to hear about, but some acting stars like the Vin Diesels of the world won't allow themselves to take more punches than anyone else in the movie or won't do a script where his 
character loses a fist fight, right? Yeah. Or doesn't want to portray himself as anything but heroic. Yeah. Clearly, Jean-Claude Van Damme had no problem yeah. playing a villain in this movie. Like, yeah. He's not a little bit bad. There's not this seed of goodness deep down within him that's going to be fed and change him. Like, he's... Yeah. He's evil. Yes. <laughs> and he, that is amusing. Yes. But it's not enough to carry the whole movie. No. <laughs> I agree. But also, shout out, he's 40 years old at this point, and there's some, like, ladder sequences that is kind of impressive. It's near the, the latter half of the movie when he's fighting his evil serial killer brother, if you will. But I'm like, wow. Like, the physical prowess of Van Damme is impressive. Uh, so to see that, how he like scales up and scales down this ladder, I'm like, okay, that's a re- very, very cool stunt. But those scenes are few and far between in the movie. And when they're actually fighting, I think it's pulled off better than, as far as Van Damme v. Van Damme, yeah. and Double Impact did it, as far yeah. as me being distracted by, yeah, I see what you did there. You know? Yeah. Uh, the, the fight is credible enough. What's the name of the serial killer? The Torch, that's the right. Because he burns his victims. I am the torch. So he's this he will torch people, but he'll also just randomly kill people as he's wandering down the street yeah. for no reason. Again, yes. it's well, see, but the mummy spanked her kid, so yeah. the, the, you know, or disciplined her kid, so you're a bad mama. <laughs> you're a bad mama. I I just yeah. Yeah. No, Replicant is you've seen this movie before. Yeah. But I think you've seen all the Van Damme movies before. And the the award went to Rooker, I see. Yeah. Cool house. I, I'm good on replicant to people. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. When did you learn to fight like that? It was long ago. On the run from the law. Check the cargo. It's here somewhere. Move it. Captured by gun runners. A story. You work for us. Put him in chains. What's your name, son? Christopher Dubois. Mine's Dobbs. Your Dobbs. Hurry up, man. Sold into slavery. Chris Dubois, the United States of America, the best fighter I've ever seen. Be ready at all times. You will learn that. He wouldn't give up until he found a way to win back his honor. Best fighters will meet to compete in the Lost City for a dragon made of solid gold. I tell you what, you get us to the Lost City, and I'll make sure that we come back with the gold. So I am not the kind of guy to poo-poo the concept of a, a star jumping into the director's chair. Sure. Like, depending on who you are and who you've worked with, um, you know... If you've spent your 20s and 30s on different movie sets, working with different directors, watching them do different things, yep. especially with Jean-Claude Van Damme doing dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of action scenes, yeah. you'd think he could pick up something. So I'm not going to like immediately go, okay, he's going to direct now? Is that like... Yeah. <laughs> especially in like these action movies. Jackie Chan directed a lot of movies. Drunken Master 2 was yep. arguably one of the best martial arts movies ever made. Yep. So I'm not going to dismiss it on its face. Yeah. But I bought this set, the four-movie marathon, Ancient Adventures Collection. Sure. And it had uh, Dragonheart. Yep. The Musketeer, which has a memorable performance from Tim Roth in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the 
Ridley Scott version of Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, and then as an afterthought in the collection, this movie, The Quest. Sure. And I had it on my shelf for the longest time, and I'd never got around to watching it. And then yeah. we're doing this podcast, and I finally got around to watching it. Yep. And it's a tough one for me because it is undeniably the most ludicrous yep. of all of these movies. And it is undeniably, I mean, all of them could be accused of plagiarism, but sure. this one is like copy-paste. Yeah. It like starts somewhere sort of Indiana Jones pirate movie-ish, but just at some point gives up and becomes Bloodsport again. Sure. Uh, I think there's a, yep. There's lots of other movies in mixed in here too as yeah. well. But it's amazing how it's going everywhere at once and nowhere all at the same time. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's a hypnotizing movie to watch in a lot of ways yeah. because like it keeps on redefining what it is. It's got this weird stream of conscience. It's like, like Jean-Claude was thinking, and then this will happen and the audiences will like that. And yeah. then this will happen and that'll make them laugh. And then this will happen and that, but there's no through line story. There's no sort of congru congruity to the movie continuity, like it's yeah, yeah. The, the, the continuity like the, it's just this scene and this is what's happening now yeah. and like it is unintentionally hilarious at times it is boring at times yeah. it's got really terrible dubbing James Ramar is a really good actor but his yeah. entire performance seems like it's been slapped over top with like new dialogue he has no reason to be there yeah well, yeah, what is his purpose in the movie when all is said and done? To, like, support support Van Damme and yell. But scene to scene, you can ask that question. What's the purpose of the whole opening act of the movie with him on stilts and yeah. hanging out with these, like, uh, Dickensian orphans who all get gunned down by a mob mobsters? I know. And then Jean-Claude runs away, and you kind of wait for that scene where he goes back there and yeah. avenges that note. We're in a different movie now. Now he's on a pirate ship. Mutiny on the bounty. And then yeah. there's a mutiny on the ship. And then he meets James Bond. And then he meets James Remar. And then he's in some tournament for some reason. Yeah. And nothing that happens before or after any other scene seems to matter or make sense. Yeah. But my face hurt from laughing <laughs> after I was watching this movie. Like, I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, this is, there's a lot to take in with this, this movie. Is, this is so much and so little all at the same time. Like, yeah. there's something strangely fascinating about the quest. Yeah. But to attach a rider, it is fucking awful. So, yeah. like, <laughs> what, how do you... What, yeah. do I, what do I do with that? Like, yeah. Like, like, yeah. No, it was wall-to-wall -wall incompetent. Not yeah. just, like, bad, but, like, yeah. incompetent. Yep. Yeah. But I did have quite a bit of fun watching it. <laughs> yep. like, so I can't I can't make it the bottom of the list, but I feel like I can't make it the top of the list. Yep. And like what makes a Jean Claude Van Damme movie? Well this one's actually directed by Van Damme, so yep. if anything's the gonna tell from us, Brussels, yep. it should be this. But I don't think it's actually a fair example of like a Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Yeah. It's again, it's trying to be too big. Yeah. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies usually are pretty compact and know yeah. what they are. Yeah. This is a sprawling wannabe Spielbergian epic. like Indiana Jones epic. Yeah. And it fails so incompetently yeah. that it turns around and becomes hilarious. Yeah. So I liked it but it's terrible. Yep. Yeah. Like 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a review uh, that I read of this movie where it says this is a giant tribute to those 1930, uh, 1930s Warner Brother movies where if you didn't like what the movie was, wait a minute, it's going to change completely. Yeah. And that's in some way, you know, you could explain the quest that way. Um, it was originally written by Frank Dukes uh, and Van Damme. I, you get the sense that this is a passion project for Van Damme, which makes me both giggle and sad at the same time. And again, Van Damme and Dukes in a room writing a screenplay. Like, which yeah. of the two of them were more full of shit in yeah. a given scene, right? Yeah. Like, There's a great book by the great stuntman Stephen Lambert. He was the main stunt coordinator on this movie, and he talks about the quest. And I think listening to him talk you sort of understand you know what went wrong with this movie um you know he had Van Damme was still you know in his heyday at this point he had done Universal Soldier and Time Cop Time Cop at this point so he you know get to direct this movie um but Egos I think uh also took over he's also very much into his cocaine problem at this point Street Fighter uh, had had been made, and there's lots of stories about you know his problems doing that. But um, you know, Lambert talks about how, especially with the latter half of the movie, because you've got a lot of classic action stuntmen in here. Um, once again, Peter Malotta is in there. Winston Ellis, he had a small part in The Dark Knight. Uh, Kitao Koji is the sumo wrestler. He's also in Street Fighter. Uh, action staple Abdel Kwesi, he's the Mongolian bad guy. Yeah, he was also the uh, the main villain in Lionheart. Like, there's a whole s- slew of these, uh, you know, stunt action kung fu guys that continuously work with Van Damme. But Lambert before talks, that, the action sequences aren't really all that. Like, well, see, that's the problem. Lambert talks about how Van Damme had promised all of these guys, you know, a scene where they would get to fight Van Damme. But when it came down to scheduling and shooting there wasn't going to be enough. Like, these other actors, you know, stunt people had to fight each other. And so a lot of these guys, their egos got hurt, and they refused to shoot um, in this movie, so a lot of time was wasted dealing it's with so egos. fascinating to me that so many of these big, buff action stars have the ego of a three-year-old girl. It's yep. fucking amazing. Yep. Like, they, they spend so much time pumping iron and staring themselves in the mirror that they don't their balls never drop. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But Lambert talks about how because, you know, Van Damme had promised that, you know, the, you're going to have your own scene with me. This one actor, I think it was, um, I, I don't know, I can't remember which one right now. There's a great podcast called The Vikings where Lambert, ta- you know, talks about this story where this guy refused to go down fighting Van Damme. He says, you know, he, 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 you know, he can kick me and everything, but I'm not, I'm not going to go down and officially lose. And so they had to convince this guy to actually fall after Van Damme, you know. So these are the petty fights that he was trying to deal with yeah. on top of, you know, being in the middle of a fairly large overstuffed production. Yeah. Because it looks like they did have a budget. Oh, yeah. It's not that they didn't put money into it. Yeah. But they could only shoot so much, which is why we get these very short action scenes. Um, Lambert also talks about, because, you know, Van Damme had an ego... Uh, that he was trying was trying to convince him so much. Let's change up some of your fighting styles because you're all, you always do your splits. You always you know you know do the high kick. But let's you know if you're doing a movie where part of it is showing all these different martial arts styles, whether it's kempo, karate, or muay thai, Van Dam, why don't you do some different moves? 
And so Van Damme does actually have some different... There's a stilt chase. I've never seen him work with stilts before. Yeah, but even his punch at the end when he finally knocks out the Mongolian. And I love the fact that all the fighters have no names. They're just the name of the countries. Yeah, they're representing the different... Africa gets like one fighter. The whole continent of Africa gets one fighter. I love that. I'm confused about continent and country a lot in these types of movies. I know, and it makes me go... But then I go, it's the quest. Um, I love the Charles Dickens-esque story in the first arc of this movie. Bizarre. It's crazy. (laughs) It's fucking crazy. And we're not talking two or three kids. We're like saying 30 to 50 of these little street urchins mowed down by Tommy Guns. Yep. In the first 10 minutes, unanswered by the movie. And this is supposed to be like a PG-13 teenager. Like by winning the not blood sport competition at the end, has he done anything to avenge those kids? No. 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 And we get one line. And I came back to America and I took care of the children. Yeah. That was obviously a scene that they couldn't afford to shoot. But like... And by take care of the children, what does that mean? Bury them? Yeah. Weren't they all killed? Like, yeah. Again, like, this is not just a loose thread of the screenplay. This is like the setup. This yeah. is the first act. Yeah. With some very awful old age makeup. And like <sighs> Van Damme just says, Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten that we start with him as the old man, which is also hilarious. Yeah. And he takes up the guys who were trying to rob the bar. Tender? Yeah. Should we talk about Roger Moore? Oh, we do. I'm not. I'm not going to be a Roger Moore defender here. Like he does everything, but actually hold his nose. Like I can tell he hates this movie and everybody in it, and that it's just a paycheck. It's on his face. Yeah. Over and above that, a lot of the scenes feel like they're shot separately. It's like they did all of his shooting as much as they could in one day, and like it's sort of like the Hudson Hawk thing where uh, yeah. Bruce Willis refused to work direct with the cast, like. Uh, they had a stand-in, do all the dialogue scenes, and then he yeah. would just show up for the close-ups and stuff like yeah. that. Like he's being this prima donna bitch because he's way above this production. Yeah. But if you're gonna take their money, fucking do some work. Show well, up a little. Which bit. Which is strange for Hudson Hawk because that was a passion project for Bruce Willis. Yeah, but again, ego taking over. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I, you don't have to love every movie you're in necessarily. If someone hires you to be in the in the movie, yeah. and you're gonna take their check. Do the work. Yeah. Do what they're asking you to do. Don't yeah. just be a fucking asshole. Yeah. And from what I've heard from behind the scenes and from what I see on camera, he was just a fucking asshole. I don't care yeah. that you were James Bond. And I honestly don't think how much cachet he would bring to this movie. Yeah. I think James Ramar would bring about as much cachet yeah. as he would at this point. So yep. the fact that he was a cunt the whole movie is kind of like... Uh, that's unfortunate, but Roger Moore was well past his best before date, and uh, he must have known it when he signed the contract. Yeah. Um, In Roger Moore's autobiography, or memoir, whatever you want to call it, he does talk about the quest and how he did not like Van Damme, but he talks, like, he gloats about him and this other character actor, uh, Jack McGee, who... Once again, he's one of those familiar faces. How they would like deliberately fart to blow takes, right? And that, of course, slow down production. To which I kind of go, Roger fucking Moore. I don't care that you're James Bond, but Van Damme. Like, not only is he starring, but he's directing in this, and you're costing money just to be an ass. Yeah, like, and this is they're shooting a film. This is before yeah. digital has sort of taken over things. So. Yeah. You turn on that camera, and that's dollar bills yeah. running through that thing. So if you're actively fucking up takes on yeah. purpose, 
you're costing money. You're, yeah. you're a liability to yeah. the production. Yeah, like now that said, even if Roger Moore bought his full game to he's not going to be salvaging this picture. No. This intuition that he had got himself involved in a vanity project that was out of control was not wrong. But just don't be a dick about it. I like the Donald Pleasant school of acting. Like Carpenter talks about when he was hiring Donald Pleasant for Halloween, um, that. He wasn't that into it until he got there. Yeah, but not only that, but, you know, if you're going to pay for Donald Pleasance, he's going to show up and give you your money's worth. Yeah. And I'm sorry, if you're going to be co-starring, and his name is on the poster, like he's one of the attractions, and he had just come off the hit Spice World, ooh, to be a dick, like this is Van Damme's dream project, he's directing and acting, like he... I don't know if he's over his head, um, but because they had insurance. Peter McDonald, the man who made the Pulitzer Prize-winning classic Rambo 3 and one of those fix-it directors, he's given executive producer uh, credit, and he's also a longtime Van Damme fan, but he was brought on as insurance just in case if the production went way off course. Sort of a shadow director or a fixer if things were going to... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apparently never did, though, but dealing with the egos of like the flatulent Roger Moore uh, it, it's just sort of like ah, dude really? really it's hard enough directing your first movie yeah especially on this scale yeah but again I also have to say for someone who has spent a lot of years at this point being in action movies yeah the action scenes aren't very dynamically shot no nope. not there's like a lot of you know clearly they didn't make contact hits yeah. and there's a like he doesn't have the flair for it. Like he, yeah. he, he didn't take a position on how he was going to handle the violence, or he didn't have a strong director. Yeah. And sometimes that's a compliment. Sometimes if you're an unobtrusive director, like you know, get out of the way of the story, let the story happen. That wasn't happening either. You yeah. know, like I think that you know maybe he should stay out of the director's chair. Maybe that was a hard lesson here. Yeah. But clearly nobody was making it easy for him. No, and that's but, that's why I, I kind of I feel for Van Damme here. This is, once again, the Van Damme apologist coming out of me. It was that he was trying so hard to make this grand epic and all these things were just kind of going against him. Especially, you know, the testosterone ego of all these other guys where that was your bread and butter. Like, here's a chance to show, you know elongated action sequences of uh, of Muay Thai or you know whatever kind of martial arts is on display and it's so shortened that you're like dude even the Mongolian villain who comes like halfway through the movie yeah like we have very little time to show that is evil like yes he killed what you know because we set up a different adversary for the first 20 minutes of the movie yeah. that's my whole point like yeah. it's it just jumps to a different movie every 20 minutes or so yeah and abandons what it was. Yeah. And, like, maybe that would have been cooler edge. I don't know, like, like when they were writing it. But, yeah. I mean, yes, you're good at doing martial arts. Yes, you're a very physically handsome human being. Yeah. You were not put on this earth to write screenplays. Yeah. And you were not put on this earth to direct movies, clearly. Yeah. Stick to your skill set. Yeah. And, and, you know, he got to try it, and he did. But I have to say, even if everything he said was... I, I believe is true, but yeah. even if everybody was working for him, yeah. I really believe with that script yeah. and with his quote directorial style, this thing was still born. There was there yeah. was no version in which the quest was going to blow anybody away. Which is hilarious. I really believe that. No, you're probably absolutely right. I, which is hilarious. On this little note, 
Do you remember when like trials were like really big on TV, like the O.J. Simpson trial? And started it, and then it was all high profile. Yeah, yeah. Especially if there's a celebrity involved. Yeah. Well, one of those famous trials from the '90s was the Frank Dukes lawsuit uh, of of Dukes trying to uh, sue Van Damme for screenwriting credit. Which had the uh, unfortunate repercussions of exposing Dukes as a fraud to yeah. most of the world. So he probably regrets that on many levels now. Well, and he, he also lost the case. So yeah. um, this all went boom during the making of the quest, where the long-standing friendship between Dukes and Van Damme went boom as well. Yeah, I get the point where I think Van Damme was over his head with a lot of things. I, and I, I probably do. unable to admit it, right? Yeah. So, like I said, the stuff that happened off screen, I think, really shows you what happened with what was put on screen with the quest, where I think they had some probably grand ideas, but because of fucking egos, it, it, it just it, it hurt the movie so badly. And it is all over the map. I'm sure the script was not good. I had fun watching it. I did. Yeah. Like, I've said all of this terrible shit about it. Yeah. But I do think this is officially the bad movie night, like so yeah. bad it's good kind of arena. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Which I don't necessarily like. I'm really big on. I I prefer to watch movies that aren't like. This is not bad on purpose. I no, think that's they're trying. The that's, they're that's... trying, which kind of makes it more heartbreaking than anything else. But like, uh, I'm I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I enjoyed it, but it was terrible, so I can't really recommend it but I enjoyed it so it feels disingenuous to not recommend it but like oh it's entertaining on a sort of bad movie kind of plane I do want to shout out James Ramar yeah who is he tries he tries who is going to be our for this film the Jerry Award winner the Jerry Award winner because this is a dude that is also a character actor who's been in so many movies originally he was cast in Hicks as Aliens yeah, yeah that's got a sting. Yeah, well, don't do cocaine, kids. Yeah. Um, you know, he was in, he worked with Walter Hill a whole bunch. He's in The Warriors, Last Man Standing. Um, I don't think he's a bad actor. I don't think this movie, he comes off really well. But no, again, it's terrible. something weird about the dubbing in the movie. Like, obviously, most of the dialogue was redone in the studio, but not yeah. very professionally, not very cleanly. It just seems yeah. just off somehow. And that's not just him. That happens with a lot of the characters. But I do think it's the thing that takes his performance down. Because I've never seen him come off so insincere in anything. But yeah. Like, uh, he's trying. That's all I can say. Yeah. He's trying. And a lot of them weren't. Like, Roger Moore wasn't. No. No, he was not. So, you know, kudos to James Ramar. Uh, I think it's always good to see him. Yeah. Do you remember The Boy Next Door, Larry? I don't. It's a sex comedy from the early 2000 with Elisa Cuthbert. I might have missed that. That's okay. I feel embarrassed for saying <laughs> that out loud. <laughs> Anyways, he's in that too. It's always good to see James Ramar. I, I always thought he should have a bigger career. But he's once again one of those actors that just... You see his face and go, Oh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. <laughs> James Ramar. Well, and again... I, I do think, again, for specific people of specific tastes, either Jean-Claude Van Damme apologists or bad movie night in, enthusiasts, yep. maybe. But for everyone else, and by everyone else I mean most people, yep. you can skip the quest. Yes.
Monsieur Vandal Allô Jean-Claude I want six million dollars. Million, okay by oh my goodness I can't even read that Sunni Dumont I think Sunni Dumont I think he's from Dubai but I uh, well there's a lot going on here I think the lesson for me about JCVD is this is a movie that's trying to plant Jean-Claude Van Damme and he's supposedly playing himself yeah uh, but I, I think it's one of these hyper real versions of the world right yeah they're trying to insert Jean-Claude Van Damme into the real world. And from the other five movies that we've discussed in this movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme just has no business in the real world, which would hurt his feelings to hear because he's a real person But who I exists. think the world is a better place with Van Damme. Oh, it is, it is. But for his movies, yeah. they don't exist in the real world. Absolutely. This uh, is an alternate dimension, I, I would say, with this movie. Yeah. And there was a sort of thing, I think it was obviously started with being John Malkovich, where it was yeah. kind of cool to have actors play versions of themselves in movies. You know, Paul Giamatti in Cold Souls, Robin Wright in The Congress, like uh, using what we know about these real famous people uh, to the advantage of the storytelling, in yeah. a way for shortcuts of storytelling, because we think we know these people. Yeah. And he gets to speak his own language for the good bulk of this movie yeah. except for when he's dealing with his fans and a few little exchanges and like yeah uh so i think he's more comfortable in that and by that resolve kind of a better actor because it's it's more where he feels himself yeah he's also given more to work with though as well so like you're playing Jean-Claude Van Damme this is literally the role that you were born to play yeah <laughs> and he did get a lot of positive notices for this movie yeah um, and I think this is trying to elbow its way to being one of those meta drama comedy yeah. sort of things uh, that's supposed to kind of melt our brain a little bit and make us feel things yeah so I see what the movie's trying to do I just don't necessarily think it's 100% successful in getting there yeah and I, I can applaud its ambition and what it wants to be but we started this whole podcast talking about what is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie and ironically it's not to I me. know JCVD um Although I'm going to say some nice things about it, and there's some cool moments to it. Yeah. Um, I think it's another one of these movies that I've talked about in the podcast before, where I really like what the movie wants to be, Yeah. but I don't know that it's 100% successful at yeah. being what it wants to be. But it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, a late-stage Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, yeah. with legitimate ambition. Yep. And for that, I will definitely compliment it. Yeah. And you know what? For all the shit I've been talking about his acting, in this case, I think he's got a handful of scenes where he really does quite well. Yep. And, you know, maybe that's the benefit of making films for 30 years despite your acting talent. You almost just have to improve over time, right? Yeah, you would think. Yeah. And again, he's playing quote-unquote himself. Jean-Claude Van Damme, air quotes Van Damme. 
is dealing with the repercussions of his career falling a little bit and his status falling. Yeah. Recovering from drug addiction yep. and in a court case for the custody of his daughter. Yeah. None of this is directly ripped from his life, but it's close enough and real enough to his life that, like, I think that he could anchor himself in it. Yeah. And the world that they create until he walks into the bank. Yeah. Is fascinating it and is. well shot. And it like, is. You're wondering where they're going to go. Yeah. And then the heist starts, and he starts being like a hostage in the heist and ends up being kind of a pseudo participant in it yeah. uh, as things roll grow more and more out of insane and it seems like the more the movie tries to say things and the more the movie tries to be about something yeah. and the more the movie takes risks instead of paying off for the movie it kind of whittles it away yeah. and what we're left with is an interesting central performance from Jean-Claude Van Damme some cool cinematography and a really interesting swing yeah. but uh, it's it's right in the middle for me. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people who want to watch a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie are going to come out of this one scratching their heads. Sure. It opens with a big explosive action scenes and there's a few tiny beats of action throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. But mostly it's this meta up its own ass, look how cool we're being movie. And I think part of it was being overcrowded with that type of movie at the time it came out. Sure. And part of it is, I just don't know how comfortable this is. A, meet, a meeting with Jean-Claude Van Damme. On paper, I can see so selling that, especially in that climate. Yeah, let's see a meta Van Damme movie. But at the end of the day, I think I would have rather been watching Hard Target. Yeah. Well, JCVD is part satire and I would say ego death of a movie. Like, hats off to Van Damme because they really do skewer him. Yeah. Like, huge. He doesn't come off Super well, a lot no, of movie. No, no, um, no. For the first fat, I, for the first half an hour, I thought this movie is fucking brilliant. I love that opening sequence with, with you know the opening titles where he's doing that action sequence, and we see where the actor. I've always wondered, you know, like these actor these action films, you've got to hit your mark and do that fake swing and kick, and then in post production they'll because it's shot at a certain angle, put in that sound effect, boom, yeah. boom, boom. <laughs> And this movie is, is taking the piss out of that. Yeah. You know, this is really taking the piss out of how Jean-Claude Van Damme made his bread and butter for so long. And it's even talked about in that monologue, which I'm hot and cold about, that's in the three-quarter mark of the movie. And I, and I thought, after the energetic half an hour, if this film maintains it with its sort of satirical humor, where it's literally pulling back the Oz curtain not only on the kind of films that Van Damme made, but his persona as well, um, I thought, wow, that's pretty brave. It gets lost in its own pretentiousness. Like, the bit with the bank robbery, the movie slows down. And it's no, it's no surprise that 73% of the movie was scripted and then the other 27 was improvised. Yeah. And I think that hurts the overall narrative. I think with improvising stuff, you, it could be cool for a scene or for certain, you know moment in an acting performance but when it's a lot of your narrative it shows that it it, it, it meanders um, you gotta thread the needle a little bit more too with uh, the reality of whatever world you're establishing yeah I could buy him as sort of a worn out past his prime didn't yeah. spend his money well you know kind of hitting bottom trying to save his daughter thing but if you're going to play that, if he's downtrodden, then he shouldn't have fans 
following him around everywhere he goes, yeah. waiting for him outside of the bank. Like those two different, those two takes yeah. are separate. Yeah. Either people aren't interested in Jean Claude Van Damme anymore, and he's down and out, or he's still a superstar and everybody wants him. Right? Yeah. This movie tries to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah. Whenever they need them to be a flock of Van Damme fans, there they are. Yeah. And whenever they need him to be pathetic, there he is. But I do love one of the arcs is how absurd celebrity is. Yeah. Like there's a line of that monologue where he talks about, I did all these movies, but what have I done in my life? It, I, I've done, I, it's shit. Yeah. He knows, like, the faint praise that we were dropping on Van Damme movies, they're yeah. not good, they're yeah. entertainment, he knows as well. Yeah. And it doesn't sit with him. Yeah. And I don't think he's faking that. I think that, that that felt kind of like genuine. Yeah. He talked about, and I do think it's the kind of moment of the movie. Yeah. Where all of a sudden we break reality completely. Yeah. And he levitates into the air and clears to the light grid. We actually see, like, yeah. the hanging lights above the set. Yeah. And he looks directly into the camera and he talks for, like, eight minutes. Yep. But I don't think that the movie understands itself at this point. I think at this point in the movie, it's like, what else can we do to blow people's mind? Yeah. And some of it seems composed, and some of it, like you said, seems like he's just making it up as he's going along. And for a rig, that that shot is actually fairly complicated. Yeah. And like how he goes up and when they choose to bring him back down and how they're taking us out of the reality and trying to push us back into it. Yeah. It seemed like it would be a calculated sort of like yeah. really nuanced approach like this is what we're doing. Yeah. But I think as a little short film moment by itself it's strong but in this movie it's a piece that almost doesn't quite fit. Yeah. Like it, it broke they established a reality, then they broke that reality. Yeah. And then they never really properly reconciled it again. Yeah. They never justified it. By itself, interesting, because it's a lot of acting from Van Damme. Yeah. And, and, like, you never see a monologue like this. Yes. So, and unlike with Death Warrant, he seems a little more game because he's talking about shit that's real to him. Yeah. So, no, he's not disappearing into a role. He's still Van Damme, but yeah. he's vulnerable Van Damme. He's downtrodden Van Damme. Yeah. He is... Yeah. Broken. Yeah. And, again, a lot of these muscle-bound, arrogant action types are unwilling or unable to show that or express that. Yeah. So, again, it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable... He's showing, he's showing his bits and pieces. He's showing his guts. Yeah. He's naked and vulnerable in front of the camera. Like... Maybe Van Damme true fans never really want to see. It. They'd happily see him naked, yeah. but not vulnerable. Yeah, right? the monologue. I have got a conflicted feeling on it because there's parts of it that I like that he talks about. Is all you know? I I, I was this. I'm one of the few that actually got to live my dream. Yeah, and all I wanted to give the audience was to entertain, and I can deeply, deeply understand that. And. Then he talks about his own ego, his drug addiction, and how it derailed him. Um, I can applaud that too. Like, there's a certain gravitas and brutal honesty that I like about it. When he talks about his multiple wives, though, I just went, dude. Like, and again, how does that repercussions into the real world? Like, how yeah. real do you want to be about this? Because I'm sure the ex-wives aren't game. Yeah. Right. Well, even his explanation for it is that, you know, every woman has a special talent. 
but you've got a wife and kids at home, Van Damme. Yeah. But I think he acknowledges that as well uh, and how problematic that was. How powerful a temptation would it be? Oh, I think like it's, yeah. Half of the world wants in your pants real bad. Yeah. I think it would be pretty easy to give in to that level of temptation, one would think. Gabriel Byrne actually gave a really interesting interview about that in Celebrity when he was promoting End of Days, where he talked about, you know, he would go into a pub just to have a drink, sometimes with his then-wife, Ellen Bernstein, and, like, tons of young females would be literally throwing themselves at him. Yeah. I think, like, just the psychology of that... You know, how it, it know. feeds into the ego, first yeah. of all, yeah, and second of all, it can cause problems, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, I get why a lot of these Hollywood stars not only have bodyguards, not you know, not only because every person wants to fight you because you're an action movie star, but sometimes you they know, want a piece of you, literally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes females want that too because you're money, yeah. you're you know, you're Van Damme, you got the celebrity kind of thing. And I probably honestly believe that there are gold diggers out in that world kind of thing. And again, if that was something seriously being explored in this movie, that could have been an interesting angle too. Yeah. Um, the meandering do- of the script does hurt it. I do, but there's lots of scenes where I really like, like even with the bank where the guys, they're wanting to, you know, um, have the cigarette knocked out of the guy's face scene. Yeah. Where one of the Van Damme shows him first and then the one of the bank robbers are gonna do it and Van Damme's just looking at him going, Don't do don't it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he knocks the other guy out. Like I laughed hard. I love even the end of the bank sequence where we've got those alternate realities going on. It's one is in Van Damme's mind and the other is sort of the reality of of the cinematic universe in that movie where Van Damme is you know being brought out on the bank, being held hostage, and then Van Damme, you know, kick you know somehow breaks free and then spin kicks you know the, the last bank robber and saves yeah. the day. But then it almost like it reverses in the movie and it shows you know what probably really happened, uh, where you know Van Damme just sort of like punched uh, you know the guy in the stomach and even broke free. But then the cops jump on Van Damme himself and arrest him because. They all think that he was actually part of it. it. So I love that it's talking about not only the absurdity of celebrity, but just the absurdity of these, you know, the world of the action film, the action hero, where in real life, you know, there's no exploding car and the people are walking away, you know, not looking back. They would be on fire and blown away. And how ridiculous that actually is. So I like I really like that about JCVD where it says this is ridiculous, folks, and uh, it doesn't give you the ridiculous Jean Claude Van Damme ending. He no. goes to jail for a year, and once again, I applaud that. And it doesn't cleanly settle like his daughter or his drug addict or his career. Yeah, this isn't the thing that fixed things for him. This is just a thing that happened to him. Yeah, no, like that's why I sort of I tip my hat off to Van Damme. I don't think Stallone. Or Schwarzenegger would have the humility to do something like this. Steven Seagal. It tells me that he's overcome his vanity a little bit. Absolutely. Oh, I think so. But yeah. like, whereas you were talking about it in the early 90s, this is the early aughts, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think he was there in the early 90s. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, you know, and this comes back to my affection with Van Damme. And it's not like I don't think Arnold. It's 2008. Yeah. I think both Stallone and Arnold also know sort of the absurdity of what how they made their bread and butter and that whole, you know... You ch- never know what you're in is going to be good. Apparently, yeah. while he was shooting the original Terminator, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger was kind of convincing himself it was going to be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but then he saw the movie. He was like, oh, no, they, they cut together real good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it would be weird, you know, being this mega action star and realizing, you know, what, what have I contributed overall to society? You know, these really chop suey action movies, but they've had to entertain millions. But what is my lot in, in life? I kind of had that even as when I was in theater school grappling with the fact because I was looking in the mirror you know I want a career on being a professional liar and help tell stories Mm -hmm. how is that contributing to the overall arc of society but I also think being a theater an actor or just being in theater is a very noble profession there's definitely real value to it but I do storytelling is a definitive part of humanity yeah animals don't tell each other stories yeah at least not the way we understand them yeah so I do love, I guess, also the come-to-Jesus element of, right. of a JCVD. Um, but it just can't quite get over the finish line. And, and I, again, I, the who's it's for question kind of comes up to me. Yeah. The art house crowd, who was really into the meta Kafkian, yeah. Kaufman-esque, pardon me, yeah. uh, meta film, did not have a lot of crossover yeah. with Van Damme films. and. Likewise, the Van Damme fans didn't have a lot of crossover with the art house cinema that this was trying to be. So, like, it's an uncomfortable mix. Like, I can see the hardcore, booyah, maximum risk, hard target fans watching this and being utterly confused by it, honestly. Not to sound dismissive, but, like, (coughs) they expected a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie because it's called JCVD. And they had this movie that was asking all these sort of frank sort of midlife crisis questions of them yeah. and doesn't really deliver in the way that you expect Van Damme to deliver. Is it a flaw that he didn't deliver the way he's expected to? No, you're allowed to try new things. But yeah. again, also know, know your product. Know what you're selling. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a cult movie. Yeah. I mean, whether... It's a curio. It's an yeah. interesting thing. It's on my wall. I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, no. It um, just I, doesn't work wall to wall. Yeah, like I said, and that's just, I think, more to do with structure. If they had actually sat down and maybe had another year of really hammering down the script and what kind of movie are you, yeah. I think you would have had something really there. I even love the opening the opening titles with like the Gaumont or whatever, the opening titles where the kid is picking the flower and then like the Van Damme character. Kicks like, him. Yeah, like that. I, write, I giggled and went, okay, all right. But I again, that. that seems to be promising a different movie. Right? If Jean-Claude Van Damme was spin-kicking everybody in his yeah. real life, that yeah. would have been really funny and interesting. Yes. But that's not the movie that they're making. Yeah. You know. I do also love that the filmmaker clearly understands the... What's the word here? The language of film. I love the shout-out to Dog Day Afternoon and Rashomon and all that stuff. Like, there's... But again, the your average... Again, I sound dismissive and shitty. Yeah. Love what you love. But your typical Van Damme fan's not going to pick up on the Dog Day Afternoon references, I don't think. Right? It's possible. I mean, some of them will. But. Yeah, yeah. I do think people who love film would obviously get it. But I admire that he made this movie. Yeah. Because this is not even warts and all. Like this is ripping off the Band-Aid and showing a really ugly side to being that celebrity and being that entertainer that just wanted to give people what they wanted out of the Van Damme brand and what happens when you have that fall and all and all by his own design and all, and or at least by his own actions 
whether it's the, you know the drug addiction, the mental illness, the multiple wives, the affairs, um, all of this led to his downfall from A-list celebrity and his ego. Yeah. Now we talked. I talked about how after Time Cop, this other studio wanted to give him a three-picture deal at twelve million. His response was, "Well, Jim Carrey makes twenty, and the studio went click. Yeah. And Van Damme says that's probably one of the biggest mistakes of my life ever. But at least he recognized it. Yeah. So it wasn't their mistake. Yeah. It was his. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a certain Shakespearean grace that I I, I kind of appreciate Van Damme, where he's almost like a cautionary tale. And and so I go, way to be, buddy, to at least let that. Yes show and bear. No. Yes and no. I think I take comfort from it from a different angle in that, yeah. um, you know, I've struggled to be a storyteller and an artist in my yeah. own way and yeah. have had very little success. He's had all the success yeah. you could ever possibly want. Yeah. And yet he's still miserable. Yeah. And like, I don't want to say, yay, Jean-Claude Van Damme is miserable, but it just reinforces this idea we have. Well, if we make enough money or yeah. if we get to do the thing we love, yeah. then all of a sudden life will become easy and it will make sense and we'll just be happy people. Yeah. No. Nope. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. Sometimes it's just hard to be alive. Yeah. Oh, and, God, uh, yeah. Like, that's a complex thing to wrestle with in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Yeah. So good for them. That's sort of like what I took away from it. And maybe if I watched it again, I would take away something else. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's C plus with like A plus ambition. You know what? I also think that, and this could have been done in a different draft. Instead of having a real like bank robbery, what would happen if they were shooting this action film and then this gang of thieves actually start to take over the film set, you know, very slowly and kind of create this sort of mock bank robbery where and Van Damme would be the only one realizing what is actually going on and then they could sort of a one shot of the dead for the action genre yeah because this film also like wants to take the piss out of those 80 action films yeah. that you know were so popular in that decade and god love them and all their and all their absurdity I just kind of you know that was the one thought I you think know, the, it kind of wants to be Birdman yes yes I think that's a great reference but actually Birdman just does it better in pretty much every way and Michael Keaton's a more universal I think figure yeah than Van Damme in that way yeah but was this movie before Birdman though oh yeah I think it was yeah, yeah. so I gotta give once again that could it do although Birdman is a way better film uh, but yeah I, um, I don't know like I said like when the final credits went down I, I, I felt frustrated yeah because there were some really good things that it was trying to do, but it meandered. It got lost in its pretentiousness, and I just kind of felt like... It felt to me on some level, we, we got a game filmmaker, we got Jean-Claude Van Damme, we yeah. got Meta. Yeah. Let's make this movie. Yeah. And they forgot one more thing. Yes. A script. Yep. Or at least a complete script. A complete script. Yeah. Like, uh, they, just, they just fired a little early. Yep. Is there anything else you want to say about JCVD? Do you have an award to give out? Well, to JCVD himself, man. Right. Like, once again, like he was a big part of my childhood, you know? Um, this is this is where I, I... I have so many good memories going to Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. The movies are bad, whether it's like Nowhere to Run or, or Cyborg, Cyborg. There's so many memories that Van Damme has given me in my love of cinema, especially bad cinema. 
every single time. No. Sometimes it's not about how they are, but what they are. Yeah. Like, and you know, cyborg is what it is. It is. So my love of Van Damme and everything he does was just sort of really laid bare in Jean-Claude and JCVD. So I don't know. The word goes out to Jean-Claude and, and he's done supporting roles now. Yeah. Um, you know, he, you know, he had that villain role in Expendables too. I am, here's a picture of the goat. I just love how he talks. The goat. Here's something else. The dubbing in this movie. His voice sounds completely different in this movie than... Well, we don't hear the accent because he's speaking French. <laughs> so he doesn't have this ludicrous accent and he doesn't seem to be fighting the script because he understands everything that he's saying cleanly because he's used to not speaking his native tongue. It was just it was it was rattling to me. It was kind of <laughs> jarring. But like, is that his actual voice? Well, just how much he talks. Usually, the scripts don't ask him to deliver monologues to that extent, uh, because he's Jean Claude. You know, give him one liners. Yeah. Make him ask the detective the question, and then have the detective feed him the exposition. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, this was not about JBCD. We're, we're gonna we're gonna let him act, and yeah. he's not gonna disappoint. Like, there was disappointed by a lot of things in this movie. But not the man himself. Yeah. That was the other thing that I was thinking about is like, did they actually get a different person dubbing his voice? But no, it, it's it's him and his actual voice. But at no point during the film, with the exception of the first quarter of the movie, do we have that recognizable Van Damme voice. And I just, it was jarring to me. But I guess, you know, I, I'll totally believe what you're saying is that, you know, He's That's speaking. probably closer to what he actually sounds like than yeah. any of his other movies. Is my guess. Which makes I've me, never met the man. Yeah, neither <laughs> have I. But it makes me wonder about once again that that persona of Van Damme, when we're so used to that that Belgian that French Belgian accent, that I wonder if some of it's kind of put on a little bit. I'm I don't know. I'm kind of grabbing at straws. I, I I've seen the man interviewed as well, and and it has that recognizable Van Damme voice. But as watching this movie, and granted, this is an older Van Damme too, I thought, this doesn't sound like him at all. And it was intriguing. pretty deep into this list of Van Damme movies. Lots of awards given today. Lots of awards were already given out, but now we're here to do our rank. And uh, again, you're the fanboy. I'm, I'm not necessarily the outsider, but uh, yeah. I, I'm sort of more of the baseline. So, yeah. uh, how did these six Van Damme movies rank? And do you think they were a fair cross-section? Did, did we give a, ta- a fair taste of what you can expect from the world of Van Damme? Or did you feel like we were really neglecting people, their Lionheart or their uh, kickboxers? Uh, well, I, which I, I don't have, which was part of the reason they weren't on the list as well. Oh, I see. Now I feel bad. <laughs> um, no, I think the Van Damage was 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 pretty well represented in here. I mean, we've got some some you know classic Van Damme. I mean, we could have put Universal Soldier in there, and 
maybe Time Cop, but you know what? I think I think I've he's never right. bought the press on Time Cop. I remember seeing Time Cop at uh, Place Real Theater. Uh, beside a Pacific Cinemas. Uh, was it Pacific? Yeah, I took you to it. Oh, uh, well, because it was being advertised as the Thinking Man. This was yeah. the smarter yeah. Van Damme movie, and I thought it was just as stupid as any other Van Damme movie. It yeah. was just like, just didn't buy it. Didn't buy it. It made lots of money though. So yeah, it, it's his uh, largest grossing North American movie. All right, but as ranks go, there must be a rank. Yep. Because this is called Rank and Review. Am I still the champion, by the way? You are. Sweet! All right, so at number six, I have the canon made Metro Golden Mare released Death Warrant, that, pris- that prison exploitation movie. Yep. It's bad, dude. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, you know, if you want to see Van Damme coming across as a French Canadian, then, then this is the movie for you. <laughs> if you like Robert Guillaume and are shocked to see him not in a Benson like ro- <laughs> role, then this is for you. He but, does give a, like, a unique performance in yeah. this movie. He's, he's not phoning it in. I was upset when, when he almost died. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad he survived. Yeah. Robert Guillaume, this one's for you. Shut up. But at number six, I have Death Warrant. At number five, I have one of the most unintentionally hilarious movie, Van Damme movies known as Replicant. I had it low because there's too many... We've seen this these movies before, and that kind of drags it down, but it is the unintentionally hilarious performance. You, you like the serial killer more. I love the clone. Right. Like, everything is just... It's so awkward <laughs> with that performance. I, 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 I'm going to stand by that I don't think he actually read the script the, all the script completely because he's asked to do a lot of embarrassing things in this movie the fucking pummel horse thing Ugh. like just the fucking pummel horse and the sweet relationship with the prostitute yes I, don't know. Yeah. I just yeah it's, it's uncomfortable yeah so at number five I have Ringo Lamb's Replicant at number four I have Double Impact um I don't know about this movie, man. <laughs> this movie's not good, but it's also unintentionally hilarious as well. And it's got Bolo Young. I'm not going to say it anymore because it's you know it's not as funny the third time. Although it could be a Monty Python joke. Um, but Double Impact is at number four. At number three, we have the craziest fuck the quest. Um, I will buy that, you know, it's maybe trying to be a tribute to those 1930 movies where if you don't like the movie, you just wait five minutes and it'll change. It's all over the place. Um, that make old, old age makeup, man. And I just love the Charles Dickens-esque story that's the first native threat, narrative thread, and then it becomes a pirate movie, and then it becomes a kung fu movie. And none of the movies really work, and yet all of the movies kind of become something that's hilarious to watch. Yeah, yeah. So at number three, I have the quest. At number two, I have the meta JCVD. Um, if it was, it was a lot more focused, this film would have easily have been number one. Um, but there's there's a lot of interesting, intelligent things going on about this movie. You know, satirizing the action film genre and his career as well and I do think it's a very good performance he is playing himself but and he's given a lot of meat here um, but it meanders a bit too much to be number one which of course leaves at number one John Woo's hard target once again the movie's crazy the there's some of the lots of the movie is like out of this world crazy and this weirdly dated for yeah. looking at it now but oh, yeah. it, it is a well executed action movie yeah um, I if anything I appreciate the dedication to stunt work uh, as well as the sort of Jean Wu aesthetic 
Um, it's not... There's so many things that are frustrating that you know that stop it from being you know a, a good action film. It's kind of like my, a McDonald's hamburger where it's you know it might taste good but it feels kind of icky and gross inside. You kind of hate yourself a little bit. After. Yeah, yeah, which is too bad because <laughs> like John Woo's the killer and John Woo's hard boiled. Like the really good action films. Well, like, again, it can't be easy being in charge of a set where you don't speak the language of ninety percent of the people on set. Like, that's true. That's going to work against you. Yeah. And I still feel the John Woo at least as much as I feel the Jean Claude in this particular entry, yeah. which is why we both ranked it pretty high. Yeah. We don't have a matching list, but I don't uh, think we're going to have like a fight over it. All right, I'm curious. I'm curious. Uh, it was a hard one for me to rank, not because I was passionate about the top or bottom, but because yeah. I was dispassionate about the top or All bottom. Right. Well, thank you for being dispassionate. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start in agreement. I put Death Warrant at the bottom of this list. Alrighty. It was the one that I really felt the time while I was watching yeah. it, and it just it, it didn't. It could have been an anybody action movie. It didn't feel as Van Damme as it wanted to feel, and yeah. that Van Damme bothered me. Alrighty. and uh, I'm going to keep agreeing with you in fifth place I have put the replicant mm. I was debating on this replicant one of, replicant um, I think that it is funny it is amusing but it's not always because it's trying to be funny or amusing agreed so uh, and uh, of the two double Van Damme entries this is loudly the less interesting one yeah um, and the most like like slap your own face like are they really trying to sell me this premise yeah like you you gotta give this movie all the fucking room in the world oh, for yeah. it to work so yeah um if you're in a foul mood you will hate 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 this movie in fourth place i put the quest and like i didn't know where to put the quest yeah. because it is awful but i did laugh out loud like enough like i said my, my face kind of hurt a little bit afterwards <laughs> yeah i think i was just smiling at the movie just like bewildered at it but yeah. that is that is not like uh, high praise, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, I know. I, I know. Like there was a while there it was like is, when I was watching it, it's like is Quest going to be number one on this list? <laughs> yeah. Like it was, I was like really, but I again I don't believe in the so bad it's good thing <laughs> like uh, necessarily. You take the entertainment where you take the entertainment, and uh, it's but again, trying so hard for you to like it though. What was the film trying to be, and how close did it come to succeeding? Yeah. Yep. By that measure, I just can't put it on the Fair top enough. half of the list. Fair enough. But an enjoyment factor is like I would probably watch it again in a weird way before my next choice yep. in third position, JCBD. Okay. And in a weird way, these are the two outlier movies. Although The Quest is much closer to what we want out of a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, they're both trying something. And this yep. way, he was trying to make his own Spielbergian martial arts epic and failing. And in this case, you know, they're trying to make this meta, you know, psychological mind fuckery of JCBD. And for everything we talked about, we spent a lot of time on it. It has these peaks and valleys, and I'm not sure who it's for, but it might be more interesting than good. Yeah. Um, So it's a very mood-specific movie. If I'm in the mood to watch a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, this is probably not what's going to go into the machine. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems weird considering how much shit I was laying on uh, Double Impact that it ranks as high as it does here in yeah. second place. But I think if you want to watch a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie yeah. and you want it to sort of fit the, the, the box that we've been putting him in yeah. and what he's known for, 
This the yeah. this is number two on the list. Yeah, it's goofy and sometimes unintentionally hilarious. Oh, yeah. With like the fashion and the showing off of and the, like the ridiculous sex scene, but at the time and place where I was, especially if I wasn't watching it with my dad, yeah. I would have had no problem with that sex scene yeah. if I wasn't sitting next to my dad. <laughs> but like, uh, there's nothing more uncomfortable watching a sex scene with your parent, though. right? Especially at that age. Yeah. Right? So. Um, but it definitely, I think, delivers the goods of what we, quote, want in a, air quotes, Van Damme picture. Yeah. Uh, so, as much as I was talking shit about it, I guess it's what it's what comes with the properties. It would be like complaining about robots in a Transformers movie. Yeah. It's kind of what you're there to see, right? Yeah. So, uh, strangely overperforming in second place. And the only easy spot to fill in this list yeah. is number one. Hard Target is the best made... The best conceptually, maybe not the, it's not a great screenplay, but it's a good concept. Yeah. And like, wall to wall, the characters are interesting, and the movie keeps moving forward. Yeah. It's an easy thing to watch. It is stupid. Yeah. But it is also fun. It's then, number one. Yeah. Hard target. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, we weren't, we were different, but I don't think we're really different. It's yeah. just a strange list. Yeah, and you're still you're still ranking champions. Uh, yeah, well, I do think like JCBD and the Quest would almost be like a yin and the yang kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> where do you? I don't like again. Where do you put either of those? I think yeah. that's why they ended up in the middle. I love the fact that we first see him well, not as the old guy, but as a clown. I, I don't think that's a mistake because like Van Damme wants to be the entertainer. Look at me, everybody. Well, and I can respect that he wants so bad to entertain us. He wants to give us everything. Yeah, but he's kind of giving us too much. For the children, Larry. For the children. For the children. But I do not regret this time spent with Van Damme. It's not your typical R and R, but uh, I think we were we met the task well. Thank thank you, Larry, for indulging my my Van Damme apologies. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All the best into twenty twenty three. This is yeah. the season finale yeah. of season nine of Rank and Review. I will probably get going again late spring, early summer. I don't want to make any promises. I want to actually put a catalog together of some good episodes before we get started I get so it. we don't have these terrible production issues or you know none of these fucking bunker issue bullshit no 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 um I, I I'll experiment a little bit but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overplay my hand I'm not gonna JCVD it or quest it uh, I want to I, uh, I stay closer to your double impact end of the spectrum or, hey, your, or your hard target for my ranking review. Give them what the viewers or the, v- the listeners want, Larry. Give them um, what they want. There will be more ranking review in 2023, but in the meantime, put your ears to the shelf-shedding movie show. Shout out to Jason Dubray. Yep, uh, dubs. You will be hearing more from Mr. Beckman and Mr. Parsons. Big love. Bye. there it was. We've done an episode on Jean-Claude Van Damme. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you don't mind. We're going to be taking some time off now between seasons so I can make new shows and, you know, uh, (laughs) live my life a little bit, watch some more movies, and hopefully bring you a better quality product in season 10. I know there's been a lot of sound issues, and some of the interviews have been a little little rough but um i'm gonna do everything i can to fix that i'm gonna do everything i can to fix the (laughs) issues i've been having on the site some some people i've been bumped off of itunes and stitcher and a bunch of different sites and i want to try and get that all fixed up 
So when I do enter the 10th year of rank and review, I can be firing on all cylinders, using both barrels, use whatever violent metaphor you want. The point is, I understand this is a free podcast with a limited, you know, listenership, but I want it to be the best show it can be. So I'm going to take some time off to help make that happen, and while I'm doing that, check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show with Jason Dubray, check out the Terror Table podcast, and um, make sure, you know, there's, there's 225 episodes, I bet you there's, there's some you might have missed, or some you might want to give another day at court. And thank you so much for supporting Rank and Review. Big love from your host and random Canadian Mary Parsons. We'll talk to you soon.